Podmortem would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is a production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is proud to be a WGA signatory company, and they fully stand by the WGA and its members and their fight for extremely reasonable standards. Accordingly, they're not accepting scripts or treatment submissions at this time, but both William and Zena Rush are available via email free of charge to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers. Their information will be made available in the show notes. Ahead of the strike, William Rush has individually produced numerous projects, including Coffee with Baba, Day by Day, They Slay, Before, Pack is Here, Abiquue, The Winemaker, and Where Do You Draw the Line? Two feature films, Group and Immersion, are slated for release this fall. Absolutely no picket lines will be crossed and no collective bargaining agreements will be violated in the making of either of these films. And very generously, Original Cinematic is providing all Podmortem patrons with a special link to view these films. If arrangements can be made, they will even schedule a virtual or in-person screening for our patrons. We cannot thank Original Cinematic enough for their contribution to our show and the horror community as a whole. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations. Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from an abandoned monastery discussing the 1963 horror anthology, Black Sabbath. This film was directed by Mario Bava from a screenplay credited to Bava, Marcello Fondato, and Alberto Bevilacqua, loosely adapted from stories by Guy de Maupassant, Alexei Tolstoy, and Anton Chekhov. Originally titled I Tre Volte Delle Paura, or The Three Faces of Fear, Black Sabbath combines three stories of terror in one of the earliest and most well-regarded examples of a horror anthology. With eye-catching set design, lighting, and cinematography, striking images, an impeccable score, compelling stories, and a wonderful cast including horror icon Boris Karloff, this film would go on to inspire creatives in a variety of fields and is widely considered a horror classic. This film was suggested to us by friend of the show, Bernie H. We'd like to thank Bernie for his continued support of the show, as well as this suggestion. So, Black Sabbath, what were your first impressions on the film? So this was the first time I ever watched this movie. I've heard about it through UT. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know this existed. I didn't know, uh, you know, what it was. But it is, uh, it is a, it is a pretty good movie. I had never. Uh, it's kind. It it almost feels kind of like uh, theater. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and that's not a bad thing. No. Um. But yeah, this this. This was uh, kind of a treat, honestly. I was not uh, expecting it to be this way. I I almost thought of kind of Suspiria, 
Okay. Uh, and um, but it it is uh, it it's it's pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie. It's not too bad. I'll be honest. It's not something that I would pick myself, but it it is it is something that I feel like should be uh, given a chance. You know what I mean? Watch it and and form your own kind of opinion on it. You know what I mean? But it this this. We talked about it before, but this is Giallo or... So this is like the seeds planted for Giallo. Okay. The telephone segment in particular. We talked about it on... So this is pre? Yes. Okay. We talked about it on Blood and Black Lace. Yes. Where this is kind of... And Mario Bava, the same director. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get real annoying on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it is kind of laying the groundwork for what would become the Giallo film. Okay, okay. Um, I completely agree. It's really funny because T had called me earlier today because we were talking about setting up to record. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, did you like it? And I was like, yeah, I did. I was more expecting something like Suspiria. Yeah. So that's really funny that you said that. This isn't wild like Suspiria at no, all. No. Um, and I had never seen this before either. I've just heard you talk about it a lot. <laughs> it is a treat to see Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. I love me a horror anthology. I've said it a million times before. Um, and the old school ones too are a lot yeah. of fun. Mm-hmm. I agree with you as well. A lot of this feels like I'm watching a play. Mm-hmm. It feels very theatrical and that's not a bad thing. Um, one thing that did surprise me a bit was when the story is over, it's just over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no, yeah. I'll say <laughs> thank you. You know, especially the first one. I was like, yeah. oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, bitch, we're in story number two now. <laughs> okay. I that is something. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for saying that. Because we at the beginning we get a kind of host. Yeah. 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 So that's what I, <laughs> I expected. Yeah. Like, we right. do not. No. <laughs> no. There is no cat guiding us through no, this. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but um i liked it a lot i think that it was really cool i was expecting something completely different but this is for me because i'm not i don't i'm not as knowledgeable as urt about you know the italian mm-hmm. horror scene and and giallo and everything like that so just for me this was a an old school horror anthology that like john paul said was a treat it was mm-hmm. it I, I wasn't like oh my god like i wasn't completely mind blown mm-hmm. but i had a good time and it it was it was very entertaining mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> aside from <laughs> the the whiplash of <laughs> oh okay <laughs> all right story two yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes sir <laughs> Well, to quote you, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Again, though, that's it's your scene. I I can't even express. I I love this movie so goddamn much. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, it kind of has everything that I'm after whenever I watch an older film like this. Okay. Um, The flair of Italian horror. Mm -hmm. The seeds of the Giallo film like we talked about. Yeah gothic horror in the second segment the comeuppance angle that we appreciate in creep show mm-hmm. very easy comics with that which i love tremendously oh, yeah. yeah there's quiet moments of horror mm-hmm. and then there are some loud moments of horror yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um the cinematography of course the lighting the vibe the feel the colors Mm-hmm. To me, this is just a very, very well-made film that I love a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad to hear that you both enjoyed watching it because I know that a lot of these older films can kind of be a harder sell. Right, right. But I think when you watch them, you see so much where so much came from. For mm-hmm. sure. And this is one of them where there's just so much influence you can see taken from these kinds of films that are still used today. Right. 
I think, especially when it comes to films of this era, for me anyway, mm-hmm. I don't, <laughs> I don't expect to be scared. Okay. I expect to kind of appreciate the artistry of it. All right, all right. But I have to be honest with you, watching The Drop of Water, that's fucking scary. Dude, dude. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a visual element of that last story that kind of fucking freaked me out. I, I, was wor- <laughs> I was working on my script last night and I was getting to that point. I said, I'll continue in the morning. <laughs> and it's wild to me because this movie, that this it's over 50 years old. Right. Very often when there's things that are attempted to scare you in these films, you're they're more admirable than they're actually scary. Mm-hmm. Right. You're like, man, that's so cool. They were going for this back then. Mm-hmm. But I was genuinely terrified. Yeah. yeah. But um, I just think it's a lot of fun. And I think that the actual, and that's one of the things we talked about with Suspiria and Blood and Black Lace. Right. As much as we talk about it, this is a film that needs to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. Because the visuals are just as, if not more important than the plot summary. Right, right. So it kind of makes it a little tricky for me because I'm wanting to describe everything. Right. Yeah. But um, I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to talk a little bit about the production. Okay. So according to Turner Classic Movies, I read that in 1958 is kind of when this whole process started for this film. Mm-hmm. So in 1958, American International Pictures is looking for Italian horror films that they can redub in English and distribute in America. All right. And so they would distribute in 1960 Bava's Black Sunday. Okay. And that movie's great, just for the record. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sidebar. Just an aside. Uh, but the thing was is that it became their biggest hit in five years. Oh, all right. So, of course, more yeah, more. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it comes time for American International Pictures they partner with a film production company in Italy called Galatea. And when they do that, it's almost like we talked about with Puppet Master. They signed a nine picture deal. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> and they're going to do these co-productions. Yeah. And so Galatea is like, well, who do you want to work with? And they're like, well, Mario Bava gave us our biggest hit in five of years. Course. Yeah, yeah. So what's he got in store? And so they talk to him. And what he wants to do is an anthology film kind of inspired slightly by Roger Corman's, I think it's called Tales of Terror. It was Mm Poe-based. And it was kind of, and we'll talk about this in a second, but it was kind of loosely (laughs) (laughs) Poe-based. All right. Yeah. And so he set out to make this anthology where it's kind of taking the idea of fear and terror and traveling through the ages with it. Okay. And so that's one of the reasons that we see in this film, there's so many different eras being evoked. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And it's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there are authors that he said that these stories are based off of their works. Yeah. We'll talk about <laughs> I would love, yeah. I, I was, I went down a rabbit hole and there was no, nothing in there. So I would really like, <laughs> There's no carrots. There's nothing. nothing. It was empty. The other, it was completely empty. I really do want to talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> but... Galatea, the the issue with the fact that they were producing with American International Pictures Mm -hmm. is AIP kind of had their own idea of how things should go. Right. And the difficulty there is that whenever they're financing the production partially, they're kind of impeding on what the Italian release is also going to be. Ah, okay. So it gets a little tricky for Bava and he keeps getting these memos from AIP and it's just pissing him off. Yeah. And so he went one way with it. And then when it comes to AIP for them to cut it for their American release, they fuck it up. (laughs) 
of course. <laughs> so this is not an existing thing that is already out in Italy. They were being released at the same time. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I believe it was released in Italy first. Okay. okay. And then it comes to America and then they do their release. Mm. Ah, okay. all right. But the thing with theirs is that they changed so much and we'll go through each of the segments. There's one that is so egregious that I was watching the American version this morning and I busted out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> um, are, now, are you sure it was Americans that did this? Yeah. <laughs> are we sure about that? May I hate to break it to you? <laughs> <laughs> but one one thing about Black Sabbath is I said it was incredibly influential. Mm-hmm. And I talked on uh, Blood and Black Lace of how Bava's work has been so influential on Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. But I also want to talk about two creative forces we'll say all right that it had a very large influence on all right the first one was in the late 1960s there was a british rock band called earth all right and they were in their rehearsal space and across the way they saw a theater that was playing bava's black sabbath Mm -hmm. and so they see all of these people that are lined up and they're kind of impressed that so many people would line up to be scared yeah and so they start writing a song titled after the film right and it's dark <laughs> it's brooding <laughs> and it's it's horror based right right and they're like well why don't we just call our band this and that's how black sabbath got their name ozzy's <laughs> <laughs> like i'm really starting to think yeah. <laughs> that's actually pretty that's ozzy in the 60s yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great um but the other creative yeah um when asked what his three most influential films of all time were on his work, uh-huh. in an interview with Sirius XM, one of the films listed by Quentin Tarantino was Black Sabbath. <gasps> oh, okay, okay. And it's not only because of his ideas, he said, as far as shot composition. Right. He said Black Sabbath was the first time he ever thought about, oh, we need to think about how shots are done. Mm. Yeah. Which is kind of huge when it comes to filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But he also said that the segments of these stories, mm-hmm. he said, I want to do for the crime film what Mario Bava did for the horror film when I make Pulp Fiction. Oh. Okay. And so this film is far reaching. That's incredible. Right, right. He's like, there just wasn't enough feet, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just doing impressions all <laughs> Cut my mic. <laughs> <laughs> Now, before we steal this film's ring, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Pod Mortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's return home after midnight. So the film begins with an ornate title card reading, I Tre Volti Della Paura, subtitled Black Sabbath. A suspenseful score mounts as the opening credits continue. So I love the music in this film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The composer was Roberto Nicolosi, who worked with Bava on a ton of projects, including Black Sunday in 1960, which is amazing, as I said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And interestingly, as well as a couple of entries here, at least one of them is based on a Russian story. Okay. Very cool. There's a film called V that's a Russian horror film that Jules showed me, and it's basically the same source material as Black Sunday, and it's amazing. Oh. Oh, all right. But Nicolosi also composed the music for The Evil Eye, which is also known as The Girl Who Knew Too Much, which came out the same year as uh, this film. Oh. Oh. And many people cite that as the first Giallo film. We all know I disagree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
But whenever this film was released in America, they scrapped Nicolosi's score and they had music composed by a guy called Les Baxter, who did all the music for Roger Corman's Edgar Allan Poe films. Oh. Which also, most of them starred Boris Karloff. It it feels like they were just trying to um, recreate the sauce. Yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's do that again. (laughs) And I did want to, just as a sidebar to point out, um, the Italian credits just sound much cooler than the American ones. Mm -hmm. Instead of editor, it says montaggio. (laughs) (laughs) That's just so cool. (laughs) But the titles give way to a shot of Boris Karloff standing in a suit above a ridge of purple rocks and surrounded by blue lights in perpetual motion. He bids the viewer to come closer, and the camera presses in as he says that he has something to tell us. Karloff introduces himself, as well as three brief tales of terror and the supernatural. He says that he hopes we didn't come to the cinema alone, because as we will see from watching the film, specters and vampires are everywhere. There might even be one sitting right next to you. Maybe he lives next door <laughs> to you. Um, we carpooled to the theater. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I sincerely did not expect Boris Karloff to be here giving us the Marge Simpson. Now, I want to warn you that yeah. tonight's episode is very scary. Yeah. I was not expecting that. No, it's honestly wild. And for, I, I mean, just the meshing of worlds to see Boris Karloff in a Mario Bava film yeah. is wild. I did read that the next film that Bava made starred Vincent Price. Ooh. Oh, okay. And it's not a horror film. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Just huh. interesting. Yeah. I got a lot of Twilight Zone out of this. Absolutely. Yeah, and for I sure. I was like, all right, so let's see what we're going here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, where, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? It feels like a horror anthology. Right. Yes. And you love it. Yeah. But Karloff assures us that specters and vampires go to the movie too. It's <laughs> good for them. <laughs> <laughs> we all need to get out. You yeah. Know? It's not all about work. Right. <laughs> But he says that vampires look perfectly normal. And in fact, they are, except they have a strange habit of drinking blood. It's a hell of a hell of a habit. Yeah. So we are a little different. <laughs> I think for them, it's more of a necessity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this weird habit of like eating or whatever. It's so strange. You know, sometimes I like to eat. <laughs> but the camera presses in tightly on Karloff's face as his visage is bathed in red light. And he elaborates especially the blood of those they love. I'm safe. I don't know these vampires. <laughs> but he chuckles, admitting that his chattering is wasting time, and he suggests that we begin our first tale. So at the time, Boris Karloff was under contract with American International Pictures, which is how he appears in this film. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so it was interesting because you have people that are cast from Galatea, Okay. With Mario Bava, and it's people that he's worked with before. Mm-hmm. And then you have random stars like Boris Karloff and Mark Damon. Not Matt Damon. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> he did not time travel to be in this film. But um, who were because of Air- American International. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because whenever you see the credits for the Italian version and the American version, the Americans like starring Boris Karloff and Mark Damon. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Because it's important. You yeah. Know? Right. But um, Karloff actually was hosting his own anthology show. Mom told me about this mm-hmm. called Thriller in 1961 and 62, I think. Mm-hmm. And so this is just old hat for him to be doing this. That's oh, very okay. cool. But I will say the only downside to the Italian version is that everything is dubbed. And so we don't at all at any point hear the voice of Boris Karloff. Yeah. yeah. And his voice is fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
The opening in the American version is also very different because it's kind of he's <laughs> he's kind of he looks like Fenton Meeks when he's floating <laughs> <laughs> when his head's just floating in the darkness. Uh, it's a choice. <laughs> <Not Yeah. Fenton> <laughs> <Meeks>. <laughs> so it looks different. Completely. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. know. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, the wild thing about it, though, is that the world had been flipped. <laughs> <laughs> there were some dark, scary <laughs> things under there. <laughs> Uh, but the thing is, is they they had a plan. Mario Bava wrote all these like funny little tongue in cheek introductions for each story. Mm-hmm. He filmed them all with Boris Karloff at the request of American International Pictures. Then American International Pictures made them cut them from the Italian release. And then when it was released in America, they filmed their own versions of it. <laughs> then well, I'd be. Yeah, yeah. Why have me do them? I have no idea. And so that's why we don't have these now because the American version is like Rod Serling. Okay. With yeah. everything kind of having an introduction. This one, it's like, eat your fries, eat them. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. No, yeah. exactly. I'm like, where's my cat? Where's yeah. my little boy trying yeah. to read to a witch? Where, you know, yeah. where's my frame story? Yeah, who am I following? Yeah. They're just like, well, you're not going to get one. I would have loved because- rough. Baba's introductions are not in this and they're not in the American. So I we've never seen that. That sucks. Yeah, that's weird. That and really I, sucks. I think it would have worked better. That's one of my only complaints is more Karloff. Yeah. yeah. But we begin our first segment, the telephone. We fade in on a 1960s French apartment, a black telephone resting on a red base on a counter. It begins to ring as the camera makes its way across curtains and antique decorations to find an empty bed with two pillows sitting on top of each other. We then get the title, Il Telefono, The Telephone. Rosie, played by Michelle Mercier, arrives home, closing and locking the door behind her as she turns on the lights and takes off her coat. She removes her high heels and the camera follows her to her bathroom. But before she can continue her nightly routines, the telephone rings again and she rushes to answer it. They couldn't have just texted? It's... (laughs) (laughs) We don't like phone calls here at Podmortem. (laughs) Well, and the shot, this is the first time we hear the phone ring, right? Well, it, it rang it rang before, before she arrived. Before she got there. Right, right, right. Yeah, and then now it's ringing for her that she's home. Yeah. But she asks, hello, politely at first, but then quickly grows annoyed repeating it and eventually just hangs up. Where's the baby? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> this soundboard. Yeah. <laughs> But she sits down on her bed, removing her stockings. But before she can finish, the telephone rings again. She lifts the receiver and shouts hello into it a few times, but slams the phone down when she gets no reply. See, this was, I was like, it, for, as far as we've seen, it's only rang twice. This is the yeah. second time. You're pretty upset already. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I didn't think about that. And this isn't the time of caller ID, so that could be anyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she's like, what? Yeah. I was like, maybe start a hello, yeah. then get angry. Yes. She's like, you again. Yeah. <laughs> listen, asshole. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, you listen. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, fuck. Oh, sorry. I overestimated. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't even think yeah. about that. But she continues undressing, taking off her black dress and heading back to the bathroom to freshen up. The camera lingers on the phone, which rings incessantly, and what can only be described as cat burglar music begins to play. <laughs> <laughs> it's because, exactly. yeah. <laughs> look, we were raised on The Simpsons. Yeah. So this is. That was my exact thought. 
when I think of cat burglar music, I think of the Pink Panther music. I don't think. Hey, that's pretty close. Yeah. It is pretty close, really. Was he a burglar or was he just a cool? I don't know. What? <laughs> just a cool pink cat. Yeah. I, I never saw any of those movies. <laughs> but interrupting her plans yet again, Rosie returns, wearing her bathrobe to answer it. A voice is finally heard on the other end. A man tells Rosie that she's beautiful. So beautiful. She asks who he is, but he only answers, you'll know right before you die. So very quick escalation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it went from absolutely nothing to this. Yeah. <laughs> so when you die, yeah. 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 Hey, why didn't he say, I want to know who I'm looking at? Exactly. <laughs> I, I want to know, know who I'm talking yeah, to. It's like, dude, I heard you. You didn't. <laughs> that is not what you said. But he tells her, I can see your heavenly body, your silky arms, your perfect legs. The camera pans down to Rosie's legs as she hides them under her robe. But the man's voice is like, no, 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 don't cover them. <laughs> That's when it gets scared. Yeah. yeah. Because up until this point, it could have been anybody. But everybody knows that I'm known for silky arms and perfect legs. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she's covering them. And he's like, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. That That's when, you know. Like, how are you doing this? Yeah. It it goes from a prank or a, a something random to, oh, somebody has eyes on mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Terrifying. That's too much. But he tells her that a body like hers can drive a man to madness and he will kill her. All right. <laughs> He's okay. like, I, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah, well. <laughs> but she asks who he is and her voice grows more frantic. But when he refuses to answer, she hangs up on him. So I, we already kind of referenced it a little bit, but I do feel like that there are a lot of parts of this segment that could be traced to Scream. Yeah. Okay. I have a few things about yeah. that. <laughs> and I honestly feel like Scream would make a perfect Giallo film. Really? There are so many Giallo elements already in Scream mm -hmm. that we could do a proper one if you give me the reins to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm asking. This is why we're doing this episode. <laughs> I want to take I love that it's you. Yeah. Yeah. I, me, of course. I, would, <laughs> I just want to take control of the Scream franchise. Not someone. Me. Well, you guys can help if you want. Okay, cool. <laughs> JP's like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but later in the night, Rosie sits on her bed in her house robe, smoking a cigarette. Her eyes wander around the room, but settle on the telephone as a clock ticks in the background. She eventually stands up, putting out her cigarette, and is about to climb into bed to sleep, but the phone's loud ringing interrupts her again. Tense music mounts as Rosie raises the receiver to her ear. The voice asks her, Why did you put on your robe? He says she should have stayed as she was because he likes her better with nothing on. In fact, that's how he hopes to find her. He tells her that he'll get in, even if she locks the door. Rosie asks him again who he is and what he wants from her, and he reiterates, I told you, I want to kill you. No, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Just, just to clear right. it up. Yeah. Just want to clear it up. Okay, well, thanks. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I think he he's making it quite clear. Yes. I don't want anything else. But to murder you. <laughs> yeah, he said it a it. few times. Yeah. I, you, you got to respect someone who is clear in their intentions. Yeah, at yeah. least that. But that's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it stops right. there. Yeah. But he does add another detail. I want revenge. Sweat coats Rosie's brow as the voice tells her that she did well to turn on the lights because he wants to see her die. He asks her, do you understand, Rosie? And instead of answering, Rosie just lowers the phone to hang it up. 
we get a wide shot of Rosie standing on her phone in the middle of her empty apartment. So two things. First of all, the production design in this film is incredible. Mm-hmm. I love the look of this apartment. Yeah. The decorations, the way that it is just so brilliant. But I love this shot cutting to the wide after this phone call so you can sell this feeling of being watched. Right. Yeah. But also this odd feeling of I'm alone, but I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very good as far as suspense is concerned. I I did want to comment on that as well. This apartment, honestly, for being in, what is this, 62? 63. Or 63? Yeah. This still looks like an apartment somebody would have right now. Oh, yeah. No, I like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you give me uh, some money for the thrift shop and this is... <laughs> well, it's really cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. Down to the furniture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Rosie walks through her apartment, clutching her hand to her throat and looking around nervously. She finds her way to the bar and quickly pours herself some liquor and drinks it. I was a little surprised that there was no attempt to call the police or yeah, that any help. Like her life has been threatened multiple times and she's like, well, I'll just drink and smoke about yeah. it. Like, <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know he does mention it later, but then uh, is she like, damn it, I should have done that. <laughs> I'm yeah. It's like, yeah, I had time. <laughs> I found that a bit odd as well. Yeah. <laughs> But as she takes the drink, she can hear what sounds like frantic footsteps just outside. She rushes over to look at the front door, light from the outside glowing through the keyhole. She then snags a handkerchief and stuffs it into the keyhole before shutting off the lamps in her dining room and her living room. So I I will say that is very interesting to me because when you think about it, again, this is the the early 60s. -hmm. So the person doing this would have to have access to either a payphone or a landline. Yeah. Right. So I think it. you would have to think it's either someone in the building. Yeah. Or, or right outside. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's even more frightening. And if she's got one of those peepholes, like in Puppet Master. <laughs> you can see everything. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Good idea inch. on shoving that handkerchief yeah. in yeah. there. It's like, I'm just Good trying to feed my dead dog in here. <laughs> <laughs> there are no secrets. Yeah. <laughs> But she heads over to her bedside table, moving the lamp on it to the floor. She then creeps over to her dresser, digging underneath a stack of folded clothes to find a stash of tightly rolled money and valuables. After surveying her apartment and attempting to do so as secretly as possible, she bends down to hide the money under her couch. I feel like it was better hidden in the drawer than just thrown under the couch. Because <laughs> yeah. I thought she was going to put it in the cushion. Which just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was kind of surprised because it's like, well, they didn't know it was there. Not at yeah. all. They yeah. didn't know it was in the apartment. But no. if they're watching you now, they do. Um, <laughs> I did want to comment on the fact that there is no score here at no. all. Oh, yeah. And I feel like the silence kind of adds to the realism of mm-hmm. her, like, you know, being here alone in mm-hmm. quotes. Um, and also I know that we've already said more than once that a lot of this does feel like a play, but this little piece here really felt like a silent film to me. Okay. Yeah. Because there's like, there's nothing, you know, I thought, I thought it was cool. There was an interview I read with Mario Bava where he talked about, he said, if there were a way to only make films with one person, that's all he would ever do. (laughs) wow because he says he loves this idea of being able to kind of get inside the mind of one character yeah and so and you can see just from the way that this is directed he's having so much fun just following rosie around yeah i think we did that with the being john malkovich i don't know that (laughs) not like that i was like well maybe you know like bo's afraid or something oh no 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 i don't even i haven't even seen that and i don't (laughs) i'm gonna make y'all's reaction to it i'm gonna make you watch it 
I've lost my desire to continue. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we'll, if we ever, I would love to talk about that in detail to figure out what happened. Talk about it, not on the... No, no, no. Cover it and talk about it. He said talk. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> but Rosie sits down on the couch, and after taking a moment to catch her breath, she reaches over to pull the phone closer to her. Just when all seems to be calm and quiet, Rosie stands up, but the phone rings loudly, startling her enough to drop it onto the couch. The receiver faces her, the voice croaking her name over and over again, telling Rosie that he knows she's listening. Rosie picks it up slowly, bringing it to her ear, and the voice shares that he saw her. She hid her money and her jewels. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) He calls her stupid and tells her that she hasn't changed. He reminds her that he's not interested in her money. He's interested in her. He wants her splendid body, and he will have it. But he makes it clear that he won't caress her. He'll wring her neck. He'll choke her until she suffocates, and he promises her that he will do it. You need a safe word for all that, dude. You can't, <laughs> you can't just be saying you're going to do shit and the other person's not into it. It's not Consent first. Yes. Um, <laughs> the phrase, though, you haven't changed. Yes. Is pretty big. Mm-hmm. And then the concept of revenge. Yeah. Right. As he said, man, how rude is that? He go, He's like, you're so stupid. You haven't changed enough. <laughs> You've always fucking been stupid. <laughs> I would just cry. And Rosie does cry. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's mean. <laughs> you don't have to come kill me. No. Yeah. She's like, that's You've not already, even out of yeah, fear. You just hurt my feelings. You've yeah. already killed my right, spirit. I'm dying inside now. <laughs> but Rosie bursts into tears, begging him to tell her who he is. She asks why he hates her and what she ever did to him. She compels him not to drive her mad, but he just hangs up the phone. Rosie collapses onto the couch and sobs, but the camera rises above her to the blinds of her window. We notice that one of the blinds is slightly raised, giving a small peek into her apartment. And just as we do, the camera zooms in sharply with a music cue to reveal a pair of eyes, opened wide and focused on Rosie. <laughs> it's funny because there was a little like cherub in the corner. Yeah. And I was like, is it that fucking cherub? <laughs> He's making the calls? <laughs> <laughs> they did like a little funny for me. I'm they not going to well, lie. Eyes, a, yeah. I think yeah. my thing is it's just the dramatic camera work. Yeah. <laughs> I. It's one of those things that I feel like whenever we talk about camp i guess it, it may read as campy yeah i fucking love it no oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i um i think the camera work in this film because there's so many snap zooms in this film yes i love that feeling that it gives you where you're you're doing the same thing yeah. <laughs> you're like oh yeah you know it's just brilliant i did want to talk very quickly about the cinematographer of the film mm-hmm. because the cinematography is credited to baldo terzano mm-hmm who worked with Bava quite a bit. He was the cinematographer on Blood and Black Lace. Okay. Which, <laughs> I like how you said Black Lace, yeah. like you well, remember? We all know how I feel about that. Yeah. <laughs> but he also worked with Argento on Deep Red. Okay. And he worked with Fulci on The New York Ripper. All right. Oh. So he's pretty busy. <laughs> That's a cool name. Yeah. yeah. That movie's wild. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> uh, watch it. I think it was on Shutter recently. Not a sponsor, but watch it. Yeah. All right. Um, Call us though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're we're open to it. But um, the interesting thing is that before Bava was a filmmaker, 
His first credited film was Black Sunday in 1960 mm-hmm. as a director, but before that, he was a cinematographer for like 15, 20 years. Oh, oh wow. Okay. And so a lot of times, Ubaldo Terzano gets credited as the cinematographer on his films, but Bava is really the one setting up like 90% of these shots. Uh, so it's kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll see on IMDb, he's credited Terzano, but then it says Bava uncredited. Huh. So it's interesting. Yeah. Well, at least he got some kind of... Yes. Yeah. He's like, I did that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Rosie raises her head as she hears the echoes of footsteps just outside her apartment door. She rises swiftly, creeping up the stairs to put an ear to her door. After a moment, she looks down to find that someone has slid an envelope under the door. So I'm going to get into detail about the differences between the American and the Italian versions. Because mm-hmm. this is where something fucking wild happens. All right. But... <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> In the American version, there is a deleted scene where there's a neighbor outside walking their dog and they come inside the apartment building, but it focuses on a shadow that's outside the apartment. Okay. And so the neighbor comes upstairs and he walks past Rosie's door and she opens the door because she just saw a letter fucking thrown in there. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, are you okay? And she's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's like, you're not fine. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, not. Yeah. And so she's like lies and says that everything's fine. And she just goes back into her apartment. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an, it's an unnecessary scene, but it might've been kind of interesting to have here Yeah. to where it's like, she's not completely alone in this apartment building. Cause it is very isolating what we have. Right. Yeah. Right. But honestly, that would kind of be a break from the tension if we go outside the apartment for a moment. True. Yeah. So maybe it's fine the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. But Rosie tears open the envelope and inside she finds a newspaper clipping. Above a photo of Frank Rayner played by Milo Quesada, she reads the headline, Frank Rayner has escaped. Not Frank Rayner. The reveal was just funny because we have no idea who the fuck (laughs) (laughs) By the way, who is Frank? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But dramatic music fills the scene, but it's interrupted by Rosie's telephone ringing yet again. She crumples the paper in her hands and approaches the telephone, raising the receiver to her ear. The voice, which we now know to be Frank, asks her, You're beginning to understand, huh? He says that he knows she didn't expect it, but he's escaped just to come find her, and he's finally close, very close. The camera presses in when he says very close. That is a chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> it is hilarious to me that he would throw this under the door for a reveal. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's waiting by the phone. Yeah. I need her to read it. That's so funny. And I was like, did he, is this real? Or do you turn it over and it's like extra Todd Snow? Yeah. <laughs> I already knew that. Yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, whew, that was hilarious to me. But he tells her that she can't do anything about it. He says calling the police is useless because he's closer than the police. She's like, the police. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. Why did I Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Frank tells her not to forget that he's much closer. Rosie's brow furrowed in worry. She begs Frank to listen, but he just hangs up on her once again. Oh, the police would work here too, though. Every breath you take. <laughs> hey, yeah. Sure. The other police. <laughs> yeah, the other police. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the real police. Yeah. Yeah. And, and don't, sting? don't yeah. get cheap. <laughs> yeah. Let's get sting here. Right? Yeah. No, I heard a guy karaoke can smash yeah. it. I got a hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Not law enforcement. So do what you. Yeah, sting. <laughs> but Rosie hangs up too. And then after a moment, she lifts the receiver again 
her fingers dialing a number on the rotary that she knows by heart. At her desk at her apartment, Mary, played by Lydia Alfonsi, sits sketching on a pad. Cigarette smoke rises from the ashtray in front of her as her phone begins to ring. The camera pulls back to capture her slight hesitance before she answers the phone, offering a questioning hello. Once she finds out that it's Rosie, Mary responds warmly, calling her honey and saying that she didn't expect her call. Mary reminds Rosie that Rosie told her she didn't want to see or speak to her anymore. But frantic and full of fear, Rosie tells her that this isn't the time. She reveals that Frank has escaped from prison, but Mary already knows because she read it in the paper. Mildly wounded, she remarks that Rosie can get back together with him now. Oh, yeah. There's history. Yeah, Yeah. what is the story between y'all? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rosie is very annoyed, asking for Mary to cut it out and telling her that she's very scared. She says that Frank is out for revenge and she begs Mary to come over. Frank is out for revenge is accurate. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think what would be more accurate is Frank is blowing up my phone and slipping stuff under my door and threatening to yeah. fucking kill me. Yeah. I feel like she's really downplaying what is happening tonight. Well, mm. the, the way it sounds, it sounds like I read a newspaper article. Yeah. yeah. And I'm scared. I'm scared. Yeah. Not, I've been in contact with Frank yeah. <laughs> all night. He's calling like a collector and I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> But the camera presses in on Mary, her eyes sparkling with hope and a little hunger as she asks, You want me to come to you? Did I hear you correctly? Rosie emphatically confirms this, begging her once more to come as fast as she can. Mary honors Rosie's plea, telling her that she doesn't hold grudges and she'll be there in five minutes. Rosie thanks her and tells her to hurry. Um... I know we just met Mary, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I do get a vibe that she does hold grudges. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that wasn't convincing. When yeah. She said that, I was like, girl. <laughs> and, wh- and why would you have to say that? Yeah. yeah. Well, you can get back together with him then. I mean, every part of this conversation was very, you're upset. Yeah, yeah. there's something that we don't know. Yeah. No. She's like, water under the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not still mad. No. <laughs> just for the record. I didn't even ask you. But... <laughs> oh, oh, that's kay. weird. But as soon as she hangs up, the phone rings again. When Rosie answers it, Frank asks, Rosie, why did you go and call your friend Mary? He asks if she thinks Mary can help her, and if she didn't think that he would hear every word. The camera travels up the cord of a phone as Frank's voice, much clearer and closer now, tells Rosie that even though she spoke in a whisper, it's no use. He told her that he's close. Very close close. He says she can call whoever she wants and it won't matter. Even if she had an entire army around her, she'll still be dead by dawn. Evil Dead (laughs) 2. But when the camera reaches the person holding the phone, we see it is Mary who's been making these calls, disguising her voice as Frank's with the help of a cloth over the mouthpiece. So I... I'm going to be honest. Huh. <laughs> that was that was a lot to believe. It a was, handkerchief? Well, that changed my whole voice? It was thick. I, yeah. I'm ghost face now. It's from Scream 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, but what to me is I'm like, dude, she's denicing her. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's, yeah. she's just like, you're going to die tonight. <laughs> but even he had a voice changer. <laughs> he did. He did. <laughs> Listen, huh. I loved this. It revealed it was, so much. I, I did not see it coming. I could feel Mary's vibes were off. Yeah. Yes. Admittedly, 
this this is not what I was expecting. I loved every bit of it. She is a messy ass bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of are able to infer more, like kind right. of you know whatever. But yeah, yeah, this was. I was like, oh shit. I kind of suspected that after the phone call. Not even really? a, not I, even a little. I bit. think the I think for me what gave it away honestly was immediately after the phone call, and then when we were traveling up the line, I was like, you're fixing to just take me back to where I was, <laughs> aren't you? Was I, like, and then when we seen it, I was like. You motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> I I gasped the first time I saw it. Yeah, and because I was like, "Well, that was very nice of her to come over." And then yeah. I was like, "Oh, wow, yeah. dude!" But the thing was, if that made me laugh, was the handkerchief. Yeah, because she's like, "I can't, disguising my voice isn't enough. <laughs> there needs to be some kind of buffer between." Right. A little muffler. Yeah, it's yeah. got to just to sound a little off. I can do a perfect Frank, but, <laughs> but I need an assist. It didn't sound good. Though. It's great. It's fantastic. But Mary asks her, do you hear me, Rosie? By dawn, you will be dead. The phone slips out of Rosie's hand and she rushes to turn on every light in her apartment once again. So for me, I will say, you know, we already talked a little bit about being surprised or not being surprised. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to place this reveal here. Yeah. Yeah, because there's still more to go. Yeah, you would think, especially with uh, stories like this, it always seems like the twist ending comes right at the end. Right, right. And then Mary's like, it was me! Or yeah. something, you're like, oh, <laughs> shit, okay, well, I yeah. guess that can recontextualizes everything. Yeah. It's, and it's so funny to me that she would just call her immediately. And, yeah. you know, Dude, cause, like, yeah, she hung yeah. up and she's like, all right, I'm all yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm Frank now. <laughs> Mary's super hot, but she can't help yeah. it. You know what I mean? I would get caught immediately. Now, why would she say yeah. that? Like, what? what? Are you in love with Mary? That's weird. <laughs> Frank, what the fuck? But Rosie puts her back against the wall, and after the world's quickest five minutes, <laughs> she hears a knock at her door. It's Mary asking to be let in. Rosie runs to the door and wrenches it open to find Mary standing there very casually in a green dress, offering her a chow with a smile. It was the pose for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, she's been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> you she's set out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Entirely too much. There was a plan. Yeah. <laughs> but Rosie asks how she got in the building. But Mary just answers jovially that it was unlocked, descending the small set of stairs into Rosie's apartment. I love the sunken in. Oh, yeah. That's a dream. Yeah. But Mary reclines against ornate furniture, snidely remarking about all the lights turned on in the apartment, asking Rosie if she's the mistress of the guy who reads the meter. Ooh. <laughs> that, are, that was shade. Yeah. It was. She's like, because I know. Yeah. <laughs> Rosie just follows after her, holding a nervous hand to her stomach and not responding to the joke. Mary apologizes, saying that she forgot that Rosie has a fine palate, so it must be the CEO of the company instead. <laughs> Why God did damn. I ask you to come here? Yeah. It was easier being scared alone. Yeah, no. <laughs> you can leave. The dude on the phone's insulting me enough. Yeah, he called me stupid earlier. <laughs> I don't need this shit. But Mary turns off the lamp on the dining room table, but takes her time rounding the corner as she surveys the apartment, and Rosie mixes cocktails for both of them. This reminded me a lot of when Ordell Roby goes and visits Jackie Brown. Yeah. In the motion picture, Jackie Brown. Yes. <laughs> when he's switching off the lamp and yeah. she's making them that scene screwdrivers. That so fucking yeah. tense. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. That's it's basically the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a, oh, I love that movie. Yeah. yeah. Let's watch Jackie Brown. Let's talk about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> but Mary rests against a decorative divider saying that she sees that Rosie hasn't changed the place much since the last time she was here, 
Everything is just as it was when they were friends and she came over all the time. Rosie brings Mary her drink and finds that she's casually sitting at the foot of her bed. They clink glasses together and Mary remarks that it's just like old times. She scoots over, inviting Rosie to sit next to her and to tell her everything. But Rosie just turns away annoyed, saying that she isn't in the mood for humor. I don't know the joke there. No. <laughs> so what's going on with you? Enough with the yeah. jokes. We get it. You're hilarious. <laughs> Mary understands, though, but Rosie retreats to her couch, explaining that the calls have been happening all night, and Frank has been saying such terrible things with a cold, threatening voice. She says that he knows everything that she does, every move she makes. She says when he called the first time, she was wearing her bathrobe, and he knew it, And then later, when she put on her house robe, he knew that too. She says it's as if he were in the room spying on her, ready to kill her. I got to give it to Mary. I couldn't keep a straight face <laughs> watching any of this shit. She's like, was it? Right, like, right. <laughs> well, you said what? Like, why, why are you sp- It's me. <laughs> Fuck. You caught me. Like, God damn it. I was going to say, now you said his voice was cold. It did sound good though, right? right, right. <laughs> but it sounded exactly like Frank. Right, you believed it was him, right? Like, I mean, it was him. But it's like, like classic Frank right. though, right? It's like, it was like he was speaking through a handkerchief. Yeah. <laughs> but it was Frank. Yeah, but it was totally Frank, right? She's sweating. <laughs> but behind rosie's back mary looks up all emotion draining from her face as she sets her drink down she stands up clasping her black gloved hands together creeping over to rosie and startling her as she sits on the arm of the couch mary tells her that frank is just guessing he's going on a hunch rosie says that she thought so too but then how did he know when she called mary Mary shrugs it off, saying that Frank always knew about them. She turns Rosie's head with her gloved hand, telling her that what Frank doesn't know, though, is that Rosie swore that she would never see her again. Rosie turns away from Mary, putting her drink on the coffee table and lighting a cigarette in her mouth as she stands up. I was like, oh, okay, that's where the attitude and the bitterness. Yeah. I get it. I get it now. She reveals that Frank told her she would die before dawn. But Mary just smirks, reminding Rosie that Frank is an exploiter, not a killer. She says that Frank was just trying to frighten her, but Rosie says Frank knows she's the one that turned him in. She says that she's scared, but Mary attempts to quell this fear, picking up the telephone and placing it back on the table. She tells Rosie that they'll go to the police together tomorrow. She leaves the phone off the hook, saying that Frank can call all he wants. But she then asks Rosie to let her borrow a nightgown, and in the meantime, she'll make them some tea. Now, you got here really fast. Yes, you did. (laughs) Too fast, some might say. You're not worried that Frank's making these threats? That he's saying he, and he knows what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously she doesn't know what we know. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, there's no urgency in your... You know, your voice or your actions to help me. It's what do you mean go to the police in the morning? Yeah, it's <laughs> almost like you were right outside the window. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty brilliant of her to take the phone off the hook so that she can't correlate that no calls are happening since Mary got here. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty fucking mm. like I know that we're not supposed to be proud of Mary. But yeah. <laughs> good show. But, but you no, know. yeah, that's what I'm saying. You don't no, nobody's gonna bother us. So go fetch I'm me a nightgown. Yeah. What? Wait, Let's no. get more comfortable. Yeah. I'm not not proud of Mary. No. <laughs> that's not an endorsement. Not at all. <laughs> 
But Rosie heads over to her dresser to retrieve a nightgown as Mary walks into the kitchen. She reaches her black-gloved hand to a drawer, opening it up and taking out a spoon. But she then reaches for a sharp knife, and the camera presses in tightly as the blade shines in the light and the music dramatically mounts. I loved the dramatic super zoom on oh, the yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that was great. And this is straight out of a Giallo film. Okay, I was gonna say because it kind of is like the uh, thing in Signs when he pulls out the knife, <laughs> oh, yeah. checks his hair, and then he's like, "Let me see the aliens." <laughs> yeah, checks his hair. <laughs> like, I want to meet this alien looking my best. Yeah. <laughs> but Rosie holds up a garment, looking at it, and when she puts it down, Mary is standing right behind it, which causes her to jump. That was a little cruel. Yeah, <laughs> she's already a little shaken. Up. Yeah. But Rosie notices the knife, asking Mary what she's doing with it. But Mary just snatches the gown from Rosie and stashes the knife under the pillows on the bed, saying that you never know. Mary takes off her gloves, asking Rosie if she's still afraid. Rosie says that she feels better now, and Mary tells her to go to bed then. She then changes into her nightgown, as does Rosie. She's feeling much better now. (laughs) That's two M. Night references (laughs) in a row. I did want to say the thing is we don't really know exactly how angry Mary is. Yeah. yeah. And so when we see this knife, we don't know mm-hmm. what she's planning to do with it. Yeah. Though I mean I I get the whole, you know, maybe just so we could feel safe, you know, in case somebody does break in. Yeah. But again, you you're acting a little weird. Uh yeah. And you've been acting weird. Yeah. Yeah, and there are there's this and then there's something in a minute where it's like, I feel like you're doing something very horrible. Yeah. And then she's like, no, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> it's just in case. Yeah, again, I'm like, how mad are you? Mary, I'm afraid of you, dude. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> but in the kitchen, Mary sprinkles something into the tea kettle on the stove. <laughs> and Rosie catches her doing it. She asks her what she's putting into the tea. And Mary answers plainly, poison compliments of frank but then she laughs telling rosie that it's just a tranquilizer what a riot (laughs) she's so funny dude and honestly a tranquilizer sounds pretty severe too (laughs) (laughs) but i feel like it really um first of all it was really bold because she was Uh, just doing it yeah um but it speaks to like a sense of familiarity and trust that at least they had, mm-hmm. if not still have. Yeah. That she's like, it's just to help you sleep, like shut up, calm down. And she's like, she accepts it. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, she knows where the tea kettle is. She knows where, yeah. You know, yeah. So they've known for a long time. Yeah. Right. And so I understand why Rosie's like, all right, I'll drink it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but she pours Rosie a cup, telling her that it'll do her good, commenting on how shaken up she is. As they head into the bedroom, the camera lingers on the kitchen window, the light transitioning from white to purple to blue to signify the passage of time. I loved this a lot. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Because we're passing from the dawn that she was supposed to die during Mm -hmm. almost to the early morning. Right. Yeah. I guess because Mary's like, I don't have to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) I I got mad earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Zach's not a character. Yeah, my bad, my bad. But we then find Rosie knocked out on her bed in a deep sleep, and we pan across the room to Mary, who is sitting at a desk writing a letter. I was a little bit scared when I saw yeah. Rosie. Yeah. Because I, you can't really tell if she's asleep or dead. Yes. Yeah. But we see what Mary has written is a confession. It reads, 
Dear Rosie, I'm sorry I frightened you so, but it was the only way for me to get you to reconsider your decision that caused me so much pain. Reading about Frank's escape gave me the idea. The voice you heard was mine. Don't hate me for it. Was seeing me again really so bad? Okay. <laughs> There's a lot. Things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is sad. Again, I don't endorse what Mary has done. Right. But it is sad. Um, but <laughs> There's other ways. I, there's many, many, many other ways. Uh-huh. But it did make me laugh that Frank really did get out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, he's. Then, <laughs> that really happened. Yeah, it's dangerous. And you did tell on him. <laughs> she saw it in the paper and was like, I'm going to get this bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, she just capitalized off of that. That's so funny. That is so funny. Use it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that she faked it and was, this was yeah. some elaborate. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Where? We really are in danger. (laughs) (laughs) But Mary stares at her written words as the camera zooms in on a door in Rosie's kitchen. The doorknob slowly twists and the door quietly opens with a shadow darkening the doorway. The shadow creeps across the floor, finding Mary seated at the desk in a POV shot. We see that the shadow belongs to a man who quietly retrieves Rosie's stockings from a chair and wraps them around his hands like a garrote. He brings them down on Mary's throat, strangling her, and as she peers up in horror at her killer, we see that it is Frank. Damn. (laughs) It's wild that his first, (laughs) he's like, I'm killing Mary. He just got in. He hasn't made any calls. No, not at all. But he also approaches her from behind. So I don't even, the way that he acts in a minute, I kind of feel like he thought it was Rosie. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. That's a good point. Because she is consumed by this confession letter. Yeah. Yes. She doesn't turn around. That is true. But doesn't he know her too? He does. And honestly, yeah. there's a bit of a love triangle. Yeah. yeah. So maybe he's like, no, that is Mary. Yeah. Could could be. But Mary's struggling awakens Rosie, who is a witness to the murder. Frank scolds Mary, telling her that she always was where she shouldn't be. I was like, damn it. Thanks for trying to save me, Rosie. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> no shit. She's like, damn. Wow. Well, she's like, That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the tranquilizer was strong. You Come don't on. <laughs> she, she was awake. Yeah. yeah. You may be Team Mary. I'm Team Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> but Frank turns his attention to Rosie, who cowers in bed, slowly approaching her, the light casting a villainous shadow across his face as he takes his time. Rosie reaches under her pillow just as he reaches the side of her bed, but when he lunges for her, she plunges the knife into him. He collapses on the floor, clutching Rosie's blankets as he dies. Rosie crumbles into tears, her cries the only sound as the camera glides over Frank's body, Mary's body, and of course, the telephone. I just want to say that the telephone also was the last shot of uh blood and black lace all right <laughs> <laughs> in a different way but yeah uh what did you guys think of the telephone uh that that one wasn't too bad i did enjoy that i i was uh i will say that i i really did enjoy this being 63 mm-hmm. the fact that mary and rosie were together and it was it wasn't a big deal. It was. The, it is normal. Yes. You know what I mean? It was fine. Uh, they talked about their relationship and then him coming in or whatever and bothering it or her bothering their... What, you know what I mean? However yeah. it was. But it was... 
it was it was fine. It wasn't thrown at you. It was just look. This is normal. There's nothing wrong with this. Yeah, I really appreciated that. I will talk about the American release in just a minute, though. Okay. Oh no. But go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frank, that was that was the the at the end. I was like, oh okay. Yeah. He's here now. Yeah. <laughs> it made me laugh. You're like, he actually was released. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, oh no. Shit. That's real. Or no, he escaped. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. He's been watching. Yes. So again, that too, how much of that was he watching the whole night while she was wandering around taking these phone calls and he's just there like, who the fuck she talking to? <laughs> I didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'll, I'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I really loved the representation as well. Um, it was funny to me that since the reveal, I thought, I thought that Mary was crying wolf. But yeah. not only is the wolf real, it's on its way to the house. <laughs> like, that was really cool. My only complaint is that I feel like when Frank finally does roll up on the scene, it is a little bit anticlimactic because Rosie kills him in like 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. You know, but everything leading up to it, I was at the edge of my seat because I thought Mary was going to kill her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Twice. Yes. Yeah. So it was it, it's a very, very interesting story. And I love the way that it's told. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing for me is that it's like, oh, my God. He, oh, he's dead. No, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And then we get no hand holding to the second story. It's like, boo. Yeah, no. that's it. It's over. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I, I love the double reveal of her being the one making the calls. Yeah. And yeah. Frank still actually being a threat. Mm hmm. And I feel like it's also very cool as a story because it's like, you know, one lie led to all of this. Yeah. yeah. And it is something that she actually was afraid of because she did turn Frank in. That did happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. That's just real. This problem, it really is happening. Yeah. Yes. But I love, I love everything about this one. The set design, the way that they use the camera in dramatic ways, mm -hmm. uh, the seeds of the Giallo film right fantastic i think it's a very good opening for the anthology okay because in my mind one thing that happens a lot in anthologies that happened we talked about it on vhs mm -hmm. you begin with the strongest one yeah and then it kind of peters out after that yeah this one i don't i wouldn't say is the strongest one narratively right it's a very simple story but it sets this perfect vibe right and it's it's I because I read a lot online. People are like, it's this is a boring segment to start with. I'm like, what? I, I don't think no, so. not no. at all. I think the word vibe is absolutely perfect yeah. because uh, it's really telling us what 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 this is. Right, or a good way to peter in. Yeah, oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> a little decline. That was your fault. I didn't mean to. That do was that. your fault. <laughs> Did I do that? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a giallo thing too. You know? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> One thing I will say when I talked about the American release messing up the film. Right. This is the second segment in the American film. Okay. Okay. Which doesn't really work for me at all. What's the first one? The first one is the drop of water. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't. No, 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 no. That feels very wrong because mm -hmm. the that that is a closer. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't really understand why they did that. But I also want to talk about what they changed. Okay. Because the telephone is the most altered segment in the American release of Black Sabbath. All right. Well, if they moved it from the front, it kind of like they didn't like it. Yeah. If they moved yeah. it from the front and altered it that heavily, they must not have liked it. Right. And I don't think they did because they changed. Firstly, mm -hmm. Mary plays a much smaller role in the American release because they get rid of the 
relationship between her and Rosie. Of course they did. They said the idea of two women together was too adult for American audiences. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> I was like, you are fucking joking. That's, that's stupid. Disgusting. Yeah. I, don't, I don't say that a lot, but that's stupid. That's yes. fucking ridiculous. They also got rid of the references of Rosie being a sex worker. I can see that for sure. Yeah. And they said it was for the same reasons, which again... It, that that just shows the sensibilities of European yeah. cinema versus, versus American cinema yeah. at the time. But the way that they decided to tell this story mm-hmm. is that Frank is not Rosie's former pimp. Frank is a ghost, <laughs> <laughs> folks. Why? And because hold the fuck wait, on. yeah, hold hold on. Wait, I I will tell you exactly how, but I want to know your question. I I don't even I don't even know why. I just need a second. Okay. <laughs> and I want to be clear. I say that I can see them doing that, not because I agree, right, right, but because, come on, yeah, that, that's that is absurd. Yes. Um. <laughs> okay, go. All right. <laughs> and I, I do want to preface this by saying it's really dumb, and I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. But here's how they made Frank a ghost. <laughs> During the second call, Rosie says, "But Frank." You're dead. Yeah. Oh. All right. That's the that's, that's step that's step one. Okay. Brilliant. Super cerebral. Yeah. Great writing. But yeah. the second thing is, you remember when Rosie receives the envelope under the door? Yeah. Well <laughs> there's ectoplasm. <laughs> <laughs> Does it say I'm a ghost? <laughs> <laughs> Frank. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> signed Frank. No, here's what happens. Okay. So we see her open the envelope. Yeah. And then it freezes for about forty five seconds. Where we get an insert shot that was filmed completely separate from this film. Of course. Yeah. It's a blank piece of paper. <laughs> and then it appears that someone in maybe Microsoft Paint <laughs> is writing in cursive a letter from Frank. Oh. In real time. And so she is holding this letter <gasps> in, in her hand. <laughs> watching this letter being written by a ghost. But... <laughs> Because that wasn't what was filmed, we get her same reaction to seeing this newspaper clipping. So she's kind of just like, huh. (laughs) (laughs) And super chill. A supernatural letter writing itself. Why? I do do not know. But the thing is, is as well, whenever you see her doing that, you see the fucking letter being written. And then when you cut back to her, she's clearly holding a newspaper clipping. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know. But... The note as well, because whenever she calls Mary, it isn't about their former relationship because in the American version, they were never together. Okay. So what it's about is I'm getting calls from Frank and Mary's like, Frank's but dead. dead. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay? And she's like, I'll come over because you're having, you're getting calls from a ghost basically. Yeah. So that's why Mary comes over. That's trash. <sighs> to make it even worse. Mary's note that she writes at the end, the confession, Mm. it's a note telling Rosie that she needs to see a psychiatrist (laughs) because she's seeing ghosts and talking to them. So then Frank comes in, Frank's ghost comes in and murders her and then Rosie double kills him? Yes. That's yes. That's that's exactly. Did you see the American version? I watched it this morning and that's yes. I am. Yeah. She double kills the ghost? She double kills the ghost with a regular ass knife. (laughs) Really? Yes, sir. Yes. The I, fact I'm sick. <laughs> I just don't understand. They and it's it's kind of gross that they're like, well, we can't have two women together, so we have to come yeah, up with something. That's no, what I was gonna say. That. The fact that you were so afraid of 
female pleasure, female yeah. autonomy uh-huh. of sex work, of any of that, that you would torpedo the entire segment yeah. story that how embarrassing it's how a, embarrassing it's a job in a relationship what is the what yeah. yes. what's wrong I'm, with that i'm sick i can't believe this yeah so that's why i said that the american version fucked up this movie that's really weird to do all of that <laughs> that's I don't, yeah i don't when i saw the ghost letter i laughed out loud <laughs> because it's cursive and it's you're you're there the whole time <laughs> <laughs> 45 that, seconds is so long, long and the thing is is that they don't it's not it's the it's a static shot so her thumb doesn't move and she's just oh, like watching oh yeah it. see that's the bad yes if she was maybe breathing or you can kind of see her like move a little bit to like oh okay this is this is happening in real time and it's like oh no she's frozen yeah yeah, yeah. it's clearly you're like you're supposed to be focusing on the ghost yeah that's yeah. the worst thing was i've ever like heard neon writing it was it was, was it even it was just <laughs> off from the color of the paper Okay. Which is why I said Microsoft Paint. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so those are the differences between the two versions. How, how embarrassing. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> Do better. Yeah. <laughs> I know it was 63, but oh my but God. Come on. 60 years. Dude, 60 years ago, this film. Holy shit. Okay. Exactly. That's interesting. Good Jeez. Lord. But we immediately cut to the next segment, receiving the title card, the Verdulock. The camera tilts above to the sky past greenery and rocks to find Vladimir Durfey, played by Mark Damon, riding on horseback down a path in 19th century Russia. Vladimir rides through rushing water until he stops at a nearby stream. He sees a black horse at the water's edge, and his horse gets frightened. Vladimir dismounts, and just behind the horse, he finds the body of a man laying face down with a dagger sticking out of his back. Vladimir approaches the body, lifting it up, but drops it quickly when he sees that the man has also been decapitated. He reacts in quiet horror. And this was a primo shot of some neck meat, folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I was very shocked. I was like, it looked really good. Yeah. Yeah. Just loot the body and then move <laughs> on. There's a side quest or a boss fight somewhere. Right. And you didn't even have to do anything. To no. This. Yeah, you need to make sure you save. Well, the, the sword sticking out of him, that tells you. It's like, okay, I got to remember this place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is important. Yeah. This was a hell of an opening. Yeah. Yes. And the music, this is dramatic as hell. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. And that, great. that doesn't stop. <laughs> But he turns to leave, but instead returns his gaze to the man's corpse, retrieving the dagger before making his exit. He rides his horse through the sunset, bringing the dead man's horse along with them, the corpse resting on the saddle. After a while, however, as the wind howls around them, Vladimir spots a small light in the distance. We cut to Vladimir on foot, leading the horses by their bridles behind him as through brittle skeleton trees and drifting fog, he approaches a farmhouse. Upon seeing light and movement through the windows, Vladimir hitches the horses and makes his way to the front door. It's kind of, I don't know why, I, uh, when I seen this, I was thinking Sleepy Hollow. Honestly? Yeah, and uh, we just saw a headless yeah. man oh, a yeah. ago too. It really fits. <laughs> I appreciated that he brought the horse yes. with yeah. him. That's true. Because... He's not like, tough break horse. Yeah, yeah. I would have been really scared. Like yeah. It took a second to be like, come on. Not gonna leave you, you know. <laughs> I appreciate he, it. And he slung the body over the horse. Yeah, he did. Yeah. But as he approaches the front door, he's unaware that he's being watched by a figure behind the stables. Vladimir lets himself inside, getting his shit rocked when the door slams behind him, but he walks deeper into the house, surveying his surroundings. A lit fireplace, a set table, a bed, and a wall of weapons. But on this wall, 
he finds dust surrounding a missing dagger. And when he holds the dagger that he found up to the spot, he sees that it's a perfect match. Just then, Giorgio, played by Glauco Oronato, enters the room with a rifle in his hand, asking Vladimir who gave him that dagger. Vladimir asks him if this is how he welcomes strangers in his house. I was like, that's bullshit. Listen, you got a lot of fucking nerve, dude. You just came uninvited into somebody's house in possession of a dagger that clearly belongs here. Mm -hmm. And you're going to give me attitude? I could not believe him. Yeah. He's lucky he got to answer. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) And you're not catering to me because it's like, what? Um, I goddamn live here. (laughs) Bang. (laughs) (laughs) but Giorgio asks who he is and Vladimir introduces himself saying that he didn't plan to stop here he was headed to Jersey Giorgio puts the rifle down apologizing and says that it's just that the dagger belonged to his father Vladimir hands it over and Giorgio asks him where he found it Vladimir pauses for a moment and then tells him to come and see as they exit the camera moves around a stone wall to find a small set of stairs just off from the fireplace Purple light pours into the adjacent hall and out steps Maria, Giorgio's wife, played by Rika Dialinia, and Zadinka, Giorgio's sister, played by Susie Anderson. Oh, I remember this one. The farmer's daughter. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not again. We just, no. we just saw <laughs> yeah. this. Having flashbacks. <laughs> it was wild to me because I would be afraid. I just saw this murdered man yeah. with this dagger in his back. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's my dad's dagger. Uh, why don't you come look at that? I would not be like, come look mm-hmm. at this body and see if it's your dad. Like, oh, I don't yeah. know. Well, you know what the body, the condition the body's in. Yeah, yeah, I would not bring him to it without some kind of like, look, I found this person. I don't know. You know, he doesn't have a head. No. Mm-hmm. Um, You're like, was your dad dressed like a badass? Or? Yeah. <laughs> Does your, is your dad in possession of a head? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does he usually have his head on? I feel like. Usually. I, <laughs> well, on the weekends, he takes it off. <laughs> this guy's just. To recite Shakespearean <laughs> quotations. <laughs> Does he usually roll around with coins in his pocket and guns? That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. But the women peek around the corner in curiosity, as outside, the men head to the stable. Once they reach the horses, Vladimir sees that the body is missing from the back of the black horse and is filled with confusion. The men look off into the field to find Pietro, Giorgio's brother played by Massimo Righi, standing over the corpse with a sword. He raises it high above his head and plants it right into the heart of the corpse. Is that what Dana was doing? Puppet Master? Um, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask if you recognize Massimo Ricci because he played Marco in Blood and Black Lace. Oh, Oh, okay. If you recall, look at his face. He hates women. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never forget. I remember Nay loved that line so much. It was great. He was kind of, he was honestly to you, he was Blood and Black Lace's Renfield. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And we all know I love me some Renfield. But in the light of a torch, Pietro looks up at an approaching Vladimir and Giorgio, telling them that he's run his sword through his heart. He says he can't hurt anyone anymore. He tells Vladimir that if he killed him, then God bless him. Giorgio asks if the corpse is of a man called Ali Beck, and Pietro says that he was the only man in the area who dressed like this, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, this was setting up that this body was staged. Yeah. Yes. And... 
my clothes that everybody knows me for wearing are now put on this corpse. Mm-hmm. That's where I thought this was going. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but when Vladimir makes it clear that he doesn't know who Ali Beck is, Giorgio explains that he was a Turkish criminal, a horrible man who killed many people in this area. Pietro is a little annoyed at Vladimir, telling him that he should have been the one to drive a sword through Ali Beck's heart, and Vladimir doesn't understand why he should have been responsible for that. Yeah. I'm clearly, I don't know anything. Yeah, I'm not from around here, dude. Yeah. Remember, I was traveling to Jersey. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know who that is. Yeah. I woke up this morning, got myself a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Pietro spells it out for them, though. He says that they say Ali Beck was a Verdulak. Even more, Giorgio hands Pietro their father's dagger, telling him that when Vladimir found Ali Beck, it was in his back. Pietro holds the blade tightly in the fog and under the light of the moon. This is a great shot. Yeah. <laughs> so the Arthur fist with the sword, is that... <laughs> <laughs> the, the meme has evolved. <laughs> but back inside, Zdenka serves Vladimir a steaming bowl of stew as Giorgio tells the present plight that the region is going through. Vladimir tears a thick-ass piece of bread as Giorgio explains that they all live in fear. No one is safe, and the number of victims grew by the day. It was funny to me how comfortable Vladimir is. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, he passed the... It's like, no, that bread's for lunch. God damn it, dude. You're not supposed to... He tore it with his bare hands. <laughs> just keep the whole fucking thing. It's just... De- He's like, that was the plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> But Giorgio says that any other scourge would have been easier to bear. At the other end of the table, Maria feeds her and Giorgio's son, Ivan, who is uncredited but plays a pretty big role in the segment. Yeah. yeah he's uncredited? Yeah, that surprised me. Yeah. Usually they'll <laughs> have grabbed a child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he belonged to the studio. <laughs> hey, you put this on. <laughs> Even as himself. <laughs> <laughs> but Giorgio says that when Ali Beck killed their foreman, his father decided it was time to hunt him down and stop him once and for all. Pietro, who sits by the window, says that he and Giorgio wanted to go with their father, but he wouldn't let them. Zdenka pours Vladimir a drink as the wind howls outside, and she introduces herself when he asks her her name. Vladimir says that it's a strange but beautiful name that he's never heard before, and Zdenka, clearly charmed, retreats to the fireplace. I know god damn well <laughs> this man is not shooting his shot oh no yeah <laughs> I know he's not because mm-hmm. I got my bread again. <laughs> <laughs> right, you see that shit I did with the bread <laughs> it's a great night I take control yeah. I find the bread <laughs> the nerve it's unbelievable <laughs> it never stops I'm a powerful man <laughs> demonstrate value <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is everyone just running the dentist system? I guess so. But Vladimir sums it up. The Turk that they were all afraid of is dead, and he drinks to the health of whoever killed him. Giorgio agrees that yes, Ali Beck is dead, but now the only person they have to fear is their father. Zdenka, with her eyes lit like Dracula, averts her gaze. <laughs> <laughs> Vladimir doesn't understand. The nightmare is over, so why should they be afraid at all? But Giorgio puts it plainly. If their father doesn't return in two hours, then Vladimir must be on his way for his own good. He says to stay here for even one night could prove fatal, 
and he tells Vladimir to believe him. Cut to Zdenka leading Vladimir to his room by candlelight. She asks him why he didn't heed her brother's warning, and Vladimir says that he could say that it was because he was too tired to continue his journey, or that the conversation piqued his interest, but that wouldn't be the truth. (laughs) The truth is... She is the reason he stayed. I knew it. I'm no, so fucking. No. I'm done already. It was hilarious to me the fact that he's like, "Look, it is not state. It's not safe to stay here." Yeah. And then he's like, "No, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and stay." Yeah. <laughs> so, so my room's on the second I, floor. Yeah. <laughs> Where are we staying, babe? <laughs> is this Alex? Yeah. This yeah. Is puppet master again. He's like, this is your side he's of the bed. <laughs> the audacity. Yeah. It's it's on clearance. It's unbelievable. <laughs> It was here that I was like, I think the student might suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know what else it reminded me of was the mummy where he's like, I've known you for like an hour, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is this two hours later or is this still, you know, me right after dinner? I think this is right after dinner. Yeah. That's but, how I took okay. it. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, no, I'm going to wait till midnight and see what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> or it's like, you know, no, I'll just stay. Out of curiosity. Yeah. yeah she, what do y'all know? Yeah. Because she did warn him. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, is it going to happen now? Or you know what I mean? We still got to wait the two hours. What's happening? So I'll take a nap and we'll see what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> so why, why are you so comfortable? Why are you so casual? But after Vladimir's confession, Zdenka's eyes dart from left to right, and then she continues preparing his room. She tells him that he's very kind, but if her father does return after midnight, there's nothing he could do for her, and he would also be putting himself in danger. She tells him that he must leave, but he assures her that there's no cause for concern. He's sure her father isn't a monster. Dude. (laughs) Oh my god. It's it's so funny who plays her father. Yeah. <laughs> because it's all he's been. <laughs> Historically, yeah. the man is a monster. But Zdenka tells him not to make jokes about this. When he tries to apologize, she tells him that he just doesn't understand. He asks her to explain and says that he might even be able to help. And reluctant, Zdenka explains as she prepares his linens. I just want to say I love this shot of the candle on the mantle, mm-hmm. her in the mirror and him standing there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so deliciously gothic horror. Yeah. Yeah. I just love it so much. But she says that before her father left, he said that he would be back in five days. This made me laugh because he's like, it won't take a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weirdly specific. Yeah. Give me five business days. <laughs> <laughs> just a work week. Yeah. A work week. That's all we need. So does that mean that that body's been out there for five days or, I, well, or how fresh oh. is it? Or At some point, it did happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but her father told them that if he should come back after five days have passed, don't let him in. Put a dagger in his heart because it means that he too has become a Verdulak. Y'all keep saying this word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you said that twice. Yeah. yeah. Can you dumb it down a shade? <laughs> <laughs> Having heard this word twice now. Vladimir asks what a Verdulak is. Zdenka tells him that if he had been born here, he would have been afraid to even use the word, but she'll explain to him what it means. It's like, you didn't seem too afraid to say that. (laughs) Like, what, Verdulak? Yeah. (laughs) But she says Verduloks are bloodthirsty corpses who yearn for the blood of those they loved the most when they were alive. So I thought it was 
a zombie. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then when she got to that part, I was like, oh, we're talking vampires. Yeah, because that, that was the same thing. I, I was like, oh, girl, that's just a zombie. Yeah. You know, <laughs> run them a shit. A vertical. Yeah, <laughs> that ain't shit. Like, yeah. haven't, you, haven't you seen Night of the Living Dead? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did read uh, these are creatures of Slavic mythology. Okay. And they, I think, I want to say... 1836 was my research. The term was first used by a Russian poet. Uh-huh. Oh. Alexander Pushkin. And from then on, like stories were written about it. And they had a distinction from vampires. Oh, all right. Because of that wrinkle. The love. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Which to me is fucking fascinating. It's right. really tragic. Like it that is. is sad as fuck. Like, it's bad enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then the to target the family. Yeah. That's wild. Because mm-hmm. vampires will just suck anybody off. Oh, and then, right. uh, <laughs> they never suck off. You, are you mean uh, Bram, uh, suck Bram, on them? Bram Stoker never wrote that. <laughs> 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 All right. And Rice did though. Let's be very clear. Right. <laughs> I, I I had a joke, but I can't make it. I have to write it on the card that you guys have. <laughs> <laughs> JP should have said, but Bram Stoker did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> I'm going to write an email. I'm no, drafting. No, <laughs> I'm drafting on Travis thing. is unacceptable. <laughs> We're cutting your lines next episode. <laughs> this is a tragedy. <laughs> Roll around in the muck with us, man. Yeah. <laughs> Pigs love it. <laughs> I'm feeling very dirty right now. <laughs> but Vladimir isn't buying this old legend, although Sedinka definitely has her receipt. That was good. Thank you. <laughs> I was very proud. But she says that the more the Verdilock loved a person when they were alive, the longer it takes them to suck the blood from them. Then they, too, become a Verdilock until someone stabs them through the heart. Just a, ra- a random aside that I didn't realize. Whenever I first learned that vampires had to be stabbed through the heart, mm-hmm. I was like, man, that must suck to be a vampire to be so vulnerable like that walking around and anybody could just stab you in the heart. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it would also kill me, too. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so, it's not as it's not as we have that in common. We're all, yeah. Yeah. We're all kind of susceptible. To yeah, it's, it's all right. <laughs> but Vladimir asks when the five days have passed, and Zadinka tells him tonight at the stroke of midnight. This family is in turmoil yes everyone is at the edge of their seat waiting to see if their father slash father-in-law slash grandfather mm-hmm. is gonna make it back mm-hmm. this is literally the night we are counting down to see if he's gonna make it back or if something horrible happened mm-hmm. and you're like now which way to my room <laughs> you're intruding oh you're yeah. intruding you have any more bread you touched <laughs> up all the bread <laughs> i just i can't that is funny though you for, to think about that, you saying that. Because we did. We found the headless guy. Yeah. Yes. We came over here. This guy pulled a gun on us. We're like, hold on. And yeah. then you, you get, I'll give you attitude yeah. <laughs> after breaking into your house. How dare you? <laughs> we do the Arthur Fist thing. <laughs> <laughs> we meet the farmer's daughter. Uh-huh. Then, you know, we proclaim our love. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Immediately. Yes. yes. Um, then we hear the story about vampires. And it's like, okay. Yeah, no, I, I still want to stay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm still going to kick it. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm in love with you. Yeah. I don't know, what, what don't do you, you understand? <laughs> A lot is happening. <laughs> this is one evening. Yeah. This is wild. 
<laughs> oh yeah, and then the dad. Yeah, yes. coming back tonight. On top oh. of yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. But we pan across the property at dusk as the wind whistles and a bell chimes at the stroke of midnight. Pietro stands by the window, peering out of it, but as soon as he hears the chime, he turns to his brother who joins him. Maria picks up a sleeping even, her eyes filled with fear as Vladimir and Zadinka descend the stairs to join everyone in the living room. The house stands silent, its lights beaming a glow into the fog, and the wind carries through the rushing water of a creek, the camera resting on a bridge just above. A silhouette creeps slowly across it, its figure etched in black out of the blue sky, and each step offering a wooden creek. Back in the house, Pietro recognizes this silhouette as their father and is filled with relief. But Giorgio is a little more cautious, but still hopeful, asking how they know that the five days have passed. Vladimir says they literally just heard the clock. (laughs) I was like, was that not an alert that it's midnight? (laughs) That's what I thought. (laughs) He's not even from here and he knows. (laughs) But the women cross themselves. Outside, the score mounts with tension as each step from this figure is punctuated by percussive sounds. As he reaches the house, the entire group now stands outside to greet him. The figure stops in his tracks for a moment and then continues on. An unseen dog howls in the distance and the camera follows behind their father's frantic steps, shrouded in his cloak like the Grim Reaper. They step out of his way as he reaches the porch and he rests against a post, turning around and revealing himself in a snap zoom to be Gorka, their pale-faced father played by Boris Karloff. Woo! Yeah. yeah. Dad, you look like shit. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've been gone for five days, but yikes! He's a little rough. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> I But I was shocked. I was like, he's in this too? Yeah, yeah. it was a treat. Yeah. But he is looking worse. Yeah. For yeah. <laughs> but Gorka just asks, well... And he wonders aloud why no one has embraced him. He tells them that he's wounded, and he asks why they're just staring at him, saying nothing. They continue to say nothing. Well, you're the one that told us the whole midnight thing. Yeah. So, like, I'd be like, okay, I know I said, but look, it's me. Like, I'm yeah. right. <laughs> but he, you know, the fact that you're acting that way is a is a big old red flag. Oh yeah, yeah. that was my thing though. You you warned us specifically yeah. about this. Mm-hmm. Why are we still all just hanging out? Like, no, 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 dad, stay over there. No, yeah. no, these were your rules. Yeah. They're like, like, but yeah. it's like 12.02. Yeah. <laughs> Still, though, he said. He's like, my he watch, my watch yeah. is fast. <laughs> so he might be, it might be fine. <laughs> but Gorka says that five days on the mountain have changed him so that even his dog doesn't recognize him. I'm like, you said changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> telling on yourself again. That, yeah. was, that was an interesting word to use. And that dog is not stopping. No. Yeah. And also, how do you feel about your dog? Does he seem more delicious than normal? Because yeah. <laughs> <'cause laughs> I know. You love him, right? Yeah. yeah. How deeply you love him a lot, right? Are you going to eat that dog later? <laughs> is this Michael Myers? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where John Carpenter got the idea. No. It is influential. <laughs> but Maria catches on immediately telling the group that he just admitted that five days have passed. Pietro offers to dress his father's wounds, but Gorka just pushes him away, saying he'll just hurt him if he does. What? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to help you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think we learned that that's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> but Giorgio realizes that his father's wound is at his heart. Gorka doesn't deny this and instead just smiles, admitting that he is hungry. 
What? <laughs> Inside, the whole family sits together by the fire. Gorka, with a large red stain on his shirt, asks Vladimir how long he intends to stay. Vladimir tells Gorka of his plans to go to Jersey, and Gorka asks him to tell everyone that old Gorka killed Alibek. He's like, I'm really just going to get some gabagool. Yeah. <laughs> if you want me to tell people, like, I guess. I'll do two things. That's fine. <laughs> I guess I'll do that. But Vladimir laughs and just tells him, of course he will. Giorgio tells his father that it was a great deed that he did and asks him to tell them all how it happened. Gorka just says that Ali Beck is dead and that there's nothing to tell. The game is over. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh like, my God. Why are you so defensive about how? <laughs> is your dad always this rude? Again, it's hilarious to me. You are a stranger. And he's yeah. like, no, tell us again, Gorka. <laughs> I'll sing your praises. <laughs> Who are you? Well, you can spread did, the word. Yeah, yeah. I did marry your daughter an hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> and you see Vladimir has prime seating too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's like, why is what? <laughs> why are you inserting yourself into this? But Zadinka offers her father a bowl of stew, but when he learns that it's lamb, he slaps it out of her hand and shouts, No meat. <laughs> Dude. Go outside. <laughs> Go back out that way. This gets everyone's attention. Yeah. As it should. But suddenly, Gorka says that he's not hungry anymore. <laughs> he says his bones are frozen from the cold and his throat feels tight. The dog continues. <laughs> We're moving on. That's exactly what he fucking said. All right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He looked up to see like if he woke the bear. (laughs) JP's sweating trying not to say something. (laughs) The dog continues to bark and howl outside. And Gorka begs someone to go shut that dog up. And he stabs his dagger into the ground. That poor dog is just trying to warn everyone. Yeah. He's like, but I am telling you right (laughs) now. (laughs) He did. (laughs) (laughs) but again nobody's listening not at all no (laughs) and he did already tell us yeah so you know what's wrong with him yeah it's it's been five days yeah that was his rule the fact that (laughs) the fact that we're like okay you barely missed it you barely missed it maybe Mm -hmm. and then we bring you in (laughs) and this is how you're acting yeah Yeah. get that fucking stew out of my face (laughs) oh my god but your dog too yeah yeah Yeah. the dog's like that's not him (laughs) (laughs) that motherfucker back there is not real But when no one moves, Gorka rises, repeating that he told them to go shut that dog up, asking if no one follows his orders anymore. He shuffles over to the rifle that Giorgio was holding earlier and tosses it over to him. Calmly, Giorgio reminds his father that this is his favorite dog. Giorgio's like, kill it! Oh my god, dude! Yeah, I did find that interesting that he wouldn't do it himself, that he needed one of the children to do it. I don't know if he's just trying to. Maybe he's trying to assert dominance. And maybe, but <laughs> he's it was like, look, I don't trust myself near that. Dog. <laughs> I'm gonna drink that dog. <laughs> maybe, maybe, like a Capri Sun. So you might want to. <laughs> that shit would be rough. <laughs> <laughs> Giorgio looks around to the others, but no one says a word. So he heads outside to do as he was told. Gorka smiles and begins to giggle when he notices Maria holding even. 
He reaches out for his grandson, walking over to him, but Maria won't let him go. Gorka asks what's wrong with her, asking if she's keeping him from holding his grandson. I'm just trying to hold my delicious grandson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. When Maria doesn't answer, he demands that she hand him over. She reluctantly passes Even over to Gorka, who carries him over to the fire and starts to play with him a little bit. The favorite dog howls loudly outside, which gets Gorka's attention, but suddenly a shot rings out. Gorka smiles, telling Even to give his grandpa a kiss. That poor dog. Yeah. He's literally trying to tell you. Yes. Yeah. And then Giorgio's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's awful. Crazy. But Giorgio returns, clutching his wife's hand before telling his father that it's late and Even needs to get some sleep. Gorka gives a terrifying goodbye to his grandson, and Giorgio guides his son to Maria, who takes him to bed. Vladimir, in a very odd, humble brag, asks Gorka if he knew that he was the one who found Ali Beck's corpse. <laughs> I helped pick the numbers. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Gorka asks how he knows it was really him, but Pietro says that there is no doubt about it. It was his clothing, his jewelry, and Gorka's dagger. Gorka, for some reason, asks if Pietro thinks that that's enough to identify a headless corpse. He says no one would be willing to accept this as proof, and that they would continue to quake in fear. But he alone has proof that Ali Beck is dead. Gorka reaches into his bag and pulls out Ali Beck's severed head. All right. <laughs> How long you had that, dude? <laughs> At least five days. Yeah. <laughs> you went up to the mountain with that? Oh, Jesus. Are you I'm just saying he took it with him. Why? <laughs> That's on you, yeah, dude. No. Yeah. You stuck it in there. No. I mean, you stepped into it's it. To always, <laughs> it's to always assume that JP's thinking something <laughs> gross. That's not my fault. That's years <laughs> of history. <laughs> that predates Podmore. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, historically, you are the monster. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's time as a family <laughs> they should probably acknowledge that they've severely fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What's weird is that they don't react as largely as they should. Yeah. yeah. Pietro's like, oh, that's why the dog was barking. <laughs> yeah. I was <laughs> like, what? Your father's. <laughs> He's carrying a severed head around with him. That's not concerning. <laughs> it should yeah. be. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh my God. But Gorka just tosses the head to the floor like it's nothing. He tells his sons to take it and hang it outside of their house for everyone to see. They're like, yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. Dude, that's my note. Hang it up. Yes, sir. <laughs> you got it, boss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we see it in the next shot. Ali Beck's severed head hanging on a post outside of their home. This is a lot, all that is going on, but that was hilarious to mm. me. I was wild. Yeah. I did want to call out this severed head. Right. In the shadows of the night, it actually looks really good. Yeah. No, yeah. I read, according to Classic Movie Hub, this head was sculpted by Eugenio Bava, who I read in an interview with Bava because he's Mario Bava's father. Oh, wow. Worked in the Italian film industry since 1906. Damn. Holy shit. Um, According to Tim Lucas, who's like a Bava biographer, uh -huh. he called Eugenio Bava the father of special effects photography in Italy. 
Okay. Damn, that's Very really nice. cool. And that's not the only thing that he does in this film, but that looked great. Oh, it yeah. It did. And you really missed the opportunity to call him a bavographer. Oh. Which is I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be leaving the show effective. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> but from his bed that night, Vladimir hears Giorgio telling his wife and sister to get some sleep and that he'll keep watch over them tonight. Zdenka says that their father is just wounded, but Giorgio disagrees, saying that he isn't wounded, and they saw how he wouldn't eat dinner. Come on, man. (laughs) We were all there. Yeah, (laughs) It was fucking creepy. Yeah. (laughs) Maria says to have Pietro stay up and keep watch, as Giorgio has been awake too many nights already. Pietro agrees to this, telling his brother to stay upstairs with his wife and sister. But this whole time, Vladimir is just tossing and turning and caressing his pillow. The camera glides past <laughs> Vladimir's bed over to his bedroom door. He's like, this is Sedenka. <laughs> <laughs> but the camera <laughs> glides past Vladimir's bed over his bedroom door, which slowly creaks open. In steps Gorka, whose face is pale gray and purple. Seeing him in his bed was just, t- he looks very comfortable. Yeah. yeah, That pillow looked so soft. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's like, I'll stay up and keep watch. Like, this is, <laughs> this family is fucking going through it. Yeah. And he's like, in this room? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is cool? Well, first of all, the thing that gets me with Vladimir is he really doesn't have to worry all that much. Yeah. Because he's like, he doesn't love me. Yeah. <laughs> but, dude, you've been dearing yourself to him all night. Yeah. Endearing yourself, not dearing. <laughs> That's not a word. You've, you've convinced him you're a deer <laughs> he's just drinking from a street yeah he's like is that is vladimir a deer that's why he won't eat him that's weird yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's weird <laughs> but gorka approaches the bed and reaches his hand out to a sleeping vladimir the shot goes in tightly on vladimir who suddenly stirs awake but when he turns around gorka isn't there this is great yeah, yeah. relief washes over vladimir's face but when he lifts his head he is startled as the camera snap zooms to Gorka staring at him from outside his window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't like that. No. How'd you get out there so fast? So yes. fast. And and no, dude, why are you looking at me in the window? You see me crossing the pillow asleep? He's like, this dude has a lot of fucking nerve to be sleeping in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's in disbelief. So am I. I think he's pretending that pillow's my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> Right, this motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Just shaking his fist. I will say that sequence was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's so the the camera trick of just zooming in on him and you know Boris Karloff got the fuck out of there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's great. But Gorka continues walking across the porch, eventually reaching the front door and letting himself back into the house. The music grows suspenseful as Gorka finds Pietro asleep at the dining room table in front of a burning candle. I was like, hopefully Pietro can be reincarnated as someone who can stay awake for 15 minutes. (laughs) He was like, I'll help. Are you serious? I'll watch. I'll keep watch. (laughs) Of these eyelids. (laughs) But upstairs, we glide across the bed of Giorgio and Maria to the bed of Ethan. The bedroom door opens and Gorka's shadow is cast across the child's bed. Gorka creeping into the room and relieving the boy of his blankets. He scoops up his sleeping grandson and makes his exit. And as they reach the bottom of the stairs, Even sleepily asks his grandfather where he's taking him. Gorka just giggles, promising that there's a surprise for him outside, but it's a secret. So he only wants to eat the grandson. 
I think he's starting with the yeah. That's the little appetizer. Okay. Yeah. Because he hasn't attacked anybody else. Dude no, is asleep right yet. there and he could have just bit him. Well, he's asleep. Well, he doesn't care about him. Well, hold no. on. Remember, it's <laughs> only the people you love. Hold on, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if he were. Yeah. Uh, but right now, he's just a very angry man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He walks past Pietro, whose candle is now knocked over and resting in spattered blood. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. So he, he's been busy already. He's, yeah. he's already started. It's like, I love you the most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that a Sons of Anarchy yeah. reference? Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> or it was a Nip Tuck reference when Sean punched Christian. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, definitely Nip Tuck. Yeah, that was bad. I wanted them to be friends again. <laughs> they got there. Yeah, they, eventually. <laughs> Season four, I think. <laughs> it wasn't. I don't know what season it was. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they fought and reconciled so much, dude. I don't they know. really did. That might not even have been Sons of Anarchy. It was <laughs> probably just Nip Tuck. It was Nip Tuck. <laughs> I know that. It was definitely Nip Tuck. But in his room, Vladimir finally decides to get out of bed and look out of his window. <laughs> I laughed because honestly, if I saw what he just saw, I probably would try my best to just roll over and go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so this isn't even my family. I nope. don't... No, you shouldn't even be here. But when he reaches his window, he sees Gorka making his way across the bridge with Ethan in his arms. He runs to his bedroom door, but when he tries to open it, he discovers it's locked from the outside. He screams for Giorgio that Gorka has taken the child and tries to break through the door. I did appreciate that he does register that this is bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because the way that everyone's been acting up, almost everyone's been acting up until that point. It's like, what a caring grandfather, you yeah. know? <laughs> like taking his son for a midnight, or his grandson for a midnight horse ride. He's um, taking his grandson for a midnight snack. Yeah. yeah. So I did appreciate that he's like, uh, hello, like he took the child. Yes. Yeah. Because these they're acting pretty stupid. Yeah. <laughs> But Giorgio finally hears his cries and rushes downstairs. He stops at the dining room table to wake his brother, but as he attempts to rouse him from sleep, Pietro topples to the floor, the camera zooming in on bite marks on Pietro's neck as he lies there dead. Very cool. Yes. Yeah. The reveal, because we all thought he was asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he's the long sleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the final sleep. <laughs> but outside, his face lit by the moonlight, Gorka rides his horse feverishly with Ethan in his arms, Giorgio riding not far behind him in pursuit, screaming for his father to give him back his son. He was flying. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I will say, watching the American version, this scene, you see how horribly they've color graded it. Oh, really? Yeah, they changed. I just don't understand why you would... Mario Bava's sense of color is amazing. Mm -hmm. So why would you be like, no, we could do better than that? Yeah. Yeah. Because it looks like shit. (laughs) (laughs) How do you really feel about it? (laughs) I I didn't care for it much. (laughs) But they ride through naked trees, Giorgio eventually dismounting and heading into a barren forest to follow the footsteps he finds there. Crisp winds surround him as he ventures deeper into the forest. But back in the house, Zdenka seeks the comfort of Vladimir telling him in tears that she can't believe Pietro is gone and she fears that the child is too. Uh, you guys got to kind of like, this is a little bit of your fault. Yeah. yeah. You were he, warned. He, he told you all the signs were there. Yeah. You really should have listened to your dad. Yeah. yeah. You know, 
And if I'm Zdenka, I'm like, wasn't it weird that we knocked the stew out of my hand? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that should have gave you a sign. Yeah. <laughs> my dad loves lamb. Yeah. <laughs> Why is he acting this way? He hasn't eaten in five days. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But she says it's like a nightmare that she wants to wake up from, but she can't. Vladimir holds her, telling her to listen to him. He says that as long as she's in this house, the nightmare will never end. And he tells her to run away with him. He's like, look, dude, sucks about your brother. Okay. (laughs) This is a perfect opportunity to start over with me. (laughs) Let's go right now. He's really taking advantage of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I know we don't know where your nephew is. It's probably fine. Let's just go. They'll figure it out. He's like, look, I know your (laughs) husband just died and my friends are a little weird. This guy's eating shrimp funny. (laughs) (laughs) This is fucking Puppet Master. We're meant to be together. <laughs> he was eating that shrimp fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he was. But Zdenka says that she can't, but he tells her that it's madness to stay here. He tells her that she can't throw her life away. He asks her to come away with him, but she tearfully tells him that her destiny is here. Vladimir, who met her tonight, sits her down next to him on his bed, telling her that that isn't true. Her destiny is to be happy and free and loved above all. Zdenka looks away from him, repeating, love, happiness. She tells him that he speaks of things that she can never have again. Vladimir disagrees, saying that they can be hers and she can stay with him forever if she wants. She tells him it's impossible, but he tells her, I love you. What the fuck? <laughs> I was yeah. furious. Yeah. I was furious. I was like, what? <laughs> He's spitting game and then he... T- Took it too far. Yeah, now his pants are chaving it. Yeah, yeah he can't think clearly. Um, this is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Literally all he knows about her is how she looks and that yeah. she makes a mean lamb stew. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And the bread wasn't too bad either. And that her, her father's problematic. <laughs> yeah. He's causing some trouble tonight. He is. <laughs> but Vladimir says perhaps when this nightmare is over, she'll love him too. Zdenka rests her head on Vladimir's chest as he kisses her hand, but this odd proposal is disturbed when they hear Maria scream from the other room. They look out the window to find Giorgio has returned, carrying the body of his son. Fucking awful. Yeah. Maria runs outside, collapsing into the arms of her husband, crying tears onto the body of Ivan. Vladimir's like, so do you need to pack a bag? Or, <laughs> yeah. Are you ready to go now? Yeah. Do you have a go bag ready yeah. already? <laughs> Five days is a long time. I'm sure you were afraid. <laughs> but later inside, the bodies of Pietro and Ivan are wrapped in sheets and tied to tables. Giorgio approaches Ivan's body with his father's dagger behind his back. Ivan is also blindfolded for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Pietro just got a full sheet treatment. Yeah. Yeah. But Maria sits crumbled at her son's side, begging Giorgio to stab her instead. But Giorgio tells her that it's for the peace of even soul, the same as Pietro. I will say, Rika Dialinia is putting on a fucking clinic. Yeah, yeah, she is. This is an incredible performance. It's it's so devastating. Yeah, it was it was a little hard to kind of sound like, God damn, yeah, that was rough. They handled it like very seriously. Yeah. yeah. But Maria can't accept this and instead rushes to her feet and grabs a dagger of her own. She places it to her throat, telling her husband that she will kill herself if he goes through with it. Giorgio stares at the dagger in his hands, then at his wife, then back at the dagger. Overcome with emotion, he throws the dagger away. 
But outside through the fog, Vladimir creeps around the front of the house over to a side door, knocking on it. Zdenka steps outside with him, and he guides her over to his horse. As the camera rests on the farmhouse, we hear the galloping of Vladimir's horse growing more and more distant. I couldn't believe she really left with him. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> Let's bounce. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's fuck? getting rough in here. Yeah. It's like, is, that, <laughs> is that Maria crying in there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Oh, I don't want to no. deal with that. But later that night, Giorgio and Maria are attempting to sleep in their bed, but their slumber is interrupted when they hear a voice cutting sharply through the breeze outside. Giorgio recognizes the voice immediately, and when he runs over to his window, he sees Ethan roaming the property in his pajamas outside. This is heartbreaking. Yeah. Yes. His small voice echoes, Mama, I'm cold. I'm cold. Maria tries to join her husband at the window, but he keeps her from it, telling her that it's just the wind, and he begs his wife not to listen. This really reminded me of Gage and Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. I was like, man, that and that was hard. That was yeah. rough. It's just cruel. Yeah. Like it's heartbreaking. I was getting a combination of Pet Cemetery and Salem's Lot. Okay. Yeah. With the window and yeah. That oh, all scene. right, all right. I will say that I this is scary as fuck. Yes, yeah. it is. The way that his voice is echoing and the way that it's played. Yeah. Like again, when you look at horror films of this era you're like i'm gonna be impressed by it but it probably won't scare me as much as i think yeah yeah, yeah. but i was like pretty unsettled writing the script oh no yeah <laughs> <laughs> writing this script <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why it was so specific <laughs> this one right here yeah the one i'm holding right now but maria says that she can't ignore it her son is calling out to her and he's cold even's voice echoes mama giorgio tries to remind her that her son is dead he grabs her by the shoulders, telling her that she buried him herself. Maria wriggles away from her husband and rushes for the door, but Giorgio grabs her again, telling her, It's not your son. It's a Verdulak. Maria screams that she doesn't care and tells Giorgio to let her go or she'll kill him. In a terrifying shot, Ivan kneels with his back to the camera outside of the front door, his palms resting on it as his voice echoes, Mama, let me in. I'm cold. That shot is haunting. Yes. Yeah. It's genuinely hard to look at. Yes. Mm -hmm. The way that the, the the movement of the camera, but him stationary. Yeah. The posture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And his I, voice. Yeah, yeah. I got some I got some goosebumps. Yeah. But inside, a bloody knife drops to the floor as Giorgio holds a bleeding wound on his side, begging Maria to come back and not let even in before collapsing. I was like, she fucking stabbed him. Yeah. She told, she she told, told him, him she was going to. Come on, man. We've seen a bunch of shit already. Yeah, yeah and you, you, your father-in-law's a Verdula. Yeah. <laughs> that should have that been. That much is clear. <laughs> but Maria rushes downstairs, calling out to her son and rushing to unlock the front door. When she finally gets it open, amidst the fog and haze of light, stands Gorka. He says, surprise, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Thought you'd seen the last of me. <laughs> he stalks his way inside, and as Maria screams, his black cloak overtakes the screen, descending us into darkness as he swoops upon her. Elsewhere, Vladimir and Zadinka arrive on horseback to the ruins of an old church. They head inside to find shelter from the cold, 
the camera peering through cobwebs as Vladimir helps Zdenka inside, telling her not to be afraid and that they'll be safe here. Don't be afraid. We're only going into a scary ass dungeon. <laughs> yeah. And how do you know that? Yeah, <laughs> I've never been here before. <laughs> this clearly haunted monastery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but she tells him that they should have kept going. But Vladimir says that they're far enough away and his horse is tired. I, I bet the <laughs> yeah. horse is tired. <laughs> we follow them through pillars as they head into another room. Vladimir cutting through thick cobwebs with a stick. They move further into the room, and upon a straw bed, they find the skeleton of an old monk inside of his robe. The camera snap zooms. It looks very awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It cuts to them, and then it cuts back to the skeleton, and it zooms out. Yeah. It's just very, very neat. Whose house is this? Where the hell did y'all wander in? Literally. And he's like, well, good night. It's yeah. like, dude, you fucking for There's a skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> no, dude. Is, there's more than one bed. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to push him out. We no. don't have to sleep yeah, next to him. Can you scooch over a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Just ignore him. Dude, your bones are pointy. Can you, <laughs> can you fucking do something about that? <laughs> they decide to look for another room, though. So <laughs> This one's clearly taken. <laughs> Vladimir tells Zdenka to wait in the doorway while he checks this new room out. He passes a beam of purple light cast against the wall and finds a rudimentary bed for the night. He says it might not be very cozy, but in the morning, they'll go to Jersey together. And get that gabagool. <laughs> this is the point, the way that he is acting like this is a completely normal place for them to stop and make camp for the night. Yeah. I was starting to suspect him. Oh. Yeah. And so, it, again, in my mind, the clothes situation, the headless situation, mm-hmm. I'm thinking he's the bad guy. Do you yeah. think at the end he's going to turn at like at the end of the thriller video? Something. I'm I'm suspecting him at this point yeah. because this is like a lot. Yeah. And he really did just make himself at home whenever he yeah, got here. And yeah. And he really no fear. like nope. finessed her into leaving her family and running away with him. And he's in this creepy ass thing. And he's like, no, this is fine. Don't be scared. Like yeah. it, you're. The red flags are red flagging. Yeah. I don't trust you right now. You like, think he's got family photos here because he lives yeah. here? <laughs> <laughs> but he notices something is wrong with Zdenka. He approaches her, asking her what it is, but she just tells him that it's nothing and sits down on their new bed to cry. Vladimir tells her that they've run away and she must try to forget everything. He tells her that if she doesn't forget, she'll be running forever. This happened tonight. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now it gets worse. Yeah, it does. Zdenka begs him to understand, but Vladimir is like, how many times do I have to tell you that I love you? And if you don't find the strength to act, you will destroy your life and mine. Oh, no. Yeah, I, that's, I, in my note, I'm like, that's a little thick, man. Uh, But that's too much. It's entirely too much. It's, we've, we've flipped the script already. Yeah. Yeah. What are you talking about? He deserves the Randy and Scream too. the fuck you. (laughs) You are not the man that I met three hours ago. (laughs) I don't even know who you are anymore. It's like I don't even. Right. How can I even think the way you tore that bread was great? Yeah. Yeah. Not anymore. What was I thinking? (laughs) To fall in love with someone (laughs) because of how they tore a piece of bread. (laughs) You know, really, this is my fault. That's my mistake. Can you ride me back to the house, please? But Zdenka just continues to cry, and Vladimir realizes that he went too far, and he asks her to forgive him and wipes her tears. She clings to him for some reason. For some reason. And I will say, uh, forgive me is not an apology. No. (laughs) (laughs) You're really putting the work on me. Yeah. (laughs) Forgive me. Stop worrying about what I did. (laughs) 
But the next morning, the camera peers across the distance to find the monastery, but on the trail leading to it, the hooves of a horse gallop through the melting snow. But then back at the monastery, it's suddenly night again. I don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) They live here now. (laughs) You slept all day. (laughs) But we see Gorka walking the same path into the ruins that Vladimir and Zdenka did earlier. He creeps past the pillars into the door leading to where Zdenka and Vladimir are sleeping. He stares at it, purple and red light cast against his face. It's a great shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. His gaze awakens Zdenka, who slowly rises from her sleep and walks over to the door, heading upstairs and then outside. Gorka watches her from a distance and calls out to her, startling her. Zdenka calls for her father and he steps out of the shadows, telling her that she shouldn't have run away and asking why she did. I want to say very quickly, the the set of these ruins is fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interior, exterior, the way that it looks in the night with the blue light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. I had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> but Zdenka begs her father for mercy, telling him that Vladimir loves her. Gorka tells her that no one could love her more than they do. Zdenka turns to find that she is surrounded by the drained, pale corpses of Giorgio and Maria, They've both been turned into Verdulox. Now, I know that being faced with the Verdulox would mm-hmm. be horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's kind of like, you do love me. Well, yeah. You know? You, you, feel, you wouldn't be here if you didn't. You and feel special. Yeah. All you right. Feel special. Your yeah, and then you don't feel anything. Yeah. But, then, but for a little bit. But it's the gift that keeps on giving because you're about to make people feel special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we running from this? Which, honestly, it's very sad for Ali Beck because that means he loved these townspeople. Aww. Oh, yeah. Damn. And he died doing what he loved. And they're like, this yeah. asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kill him in five days. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but so the, the dad is the only one that's different so far. Well, no, not anymore. No, not anymore. No, he... but I mean, like he's the only one talking and whatever. The other two are just kind of standing there like, yeah, no, we're here. They're, yeah, they're, they're for moral support. <laughs> yeah. We're his sidekicks. Yeah. <laughs> well, because the brothers were stabbed. Yeah. They stabbed oh, that's the heart. right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. But the trio glides towards Zdenka all engulfed in ghastly green light as she screams. This whole thing was just very beautiful. Yeah. I was applauding from my seat. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't she run? They were so slow. Well, and maybe it's weird to see her family like this. <laughs> oh, <fuck laughs> She's dealing with a lot right oh, now. <laughs> Peace. I'm out. Hell no. <laughs> it's like, man, you guys are taking a long time the to get over The fact that in your mind you can just run away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, if they start gliding, well, JP's they- like, fuck this. <laughs> Look, they're clearly, there's something wrong. There is. <laughs> you're, clearly. you're floating towards me. <laughs> I need to go. You didn't used to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you never did that. You didn't Are those your shoes? To, yeah. I got to go. Are those wheelies? <laughs> yeah. Or heelies or whatever they're called? <laughs> Not a sponsor? <laughs> clearly. No. I can't even get the name right. <laughs> but suddenly, the door to their makeshift bedroom opens, which awakens Vladimir. He looks around the ruins, calling out for Zdenka, but he can't find her anywhere. He gets onto his horse and rides back to the family farmhouse, and upon his arrival, he finds the front door banging against the doorframe in the wind. He lets himself inside once again, fog surrounding him as he cautiously makes his way to the dining room, finding a freshly snuffed-out candle. His horse neighs feverishly into the night as he climbs the staircase, making his way to Zdenka's room. 
He finds her clothes strewn across a chair and slowly approaches her bed, which is covered by a curtain. He tears it open and he finds Zdenka there in her nightgown. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to go home and go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it here. It's too many skeletons. And the cobwebs didn't help either. <laughs> cobwebs. Man, that was a jumble of... <laughs> <laughs> it's, getting, it's getting late. I was like an auctioneer for a second. <laughs> But she calls him her love and tells him that she didn't expect him. He asks why she left him and why she came back here. And she tells him that she did it out of love for him because they came to kill him. Okay. Um, let me see your whole neck real quick. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to check. Just, yeah. yeah. Apropos of nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like just cause, you know, she begs him to leave while there's still time. She puts her hand to her throat, telling him that she must stay here now. Vladimir says that he'd rather die than lose her, and he leans in closely. Listen, <laughs> now's the time to be like, you know what? We really did just yeah. meet. Yeah. We just met. Mm-hmm. You're I right. <laughs> yeah, and I bid you adieu. Yeah. <laughs> Zdenka tells him that she knows he loves her more than life itself. She says that her lips are dead without his kisses. What was that last thing you yeah. said? <laughs> Dead lips, I think I heard. <laughs> Let me get a peek at that neck. <laughs> to peek. Well, fuck. I mean, it would be very important yeah. to do. <laughs> but she tells him not to wait any longer, and she says for him to kiss her. As he stares into her very green eyes, his vision becomes hazy, almost as if he's in a trance. She calls him my love as he kisses her deeply but she pulls away from him slightly, advancing on him slowly and sinking her teeth into his neck. From a window, Gorka, Ivan, and Maria look on approvingly. I'm like, where's everybody else? They're yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Giorgio's like, I can't watch this. <laughs> he wasn't turned. He was turned. Giorgio? Yeah, he was there at the monastery. Oh, well then, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i guess he didn't watch uh dracula huh no 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 yeah. not not at all he missed that one <laughs> <laughs> but we cut to an atmospheric shot outside before the camera is overtaken by fog so what did you guys think of the verdulac i like that one that's yeah. pretty yeah that's pretty cool i i did i will say and it's a small whatever it's very funny though when Vladimir's outside, I can't remember what time it is, but he's like creeping around the house and there's hella wind noises. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's fog. None of it's moving. Well, <laughs> his hair's not moving. Nothing's going. You know, <laughs> but I use a lot of hairspray. Yeah, but I, I get it. But no, yeah, this was pretty cool. I don't I I was confused. Honestly, I did think they were zombies. And then the more it went on, I was like, oh, no, they're vampires. Right. Why can't you just say vampires? By this time, Dracula was already out. Yeah, but it's a little but, different. But no, yeah. yeah. But then you explained and I was like, oh, OK. So I, now I know. Right. Um, But no, I, I did enjoy this. It was a little longer. Yeah. So I feel like we did get a little more time with these characters and the story. And the uh, like you said earlier, we do move from this location it's not just a farmhouse we do move somewhere else and come back and mm -hmm. we do see them on the road or whatever yeah um i i don't understand why they didn't listen to the dad he clearly gave them instructions and told them yeah um vlad god that dude right away 
He's just, you know what I mean? What's, what's up, baby? Ent- like, <laughs> entirely too much. Yeah, you weren't even planning on stopping here, and all of a sudden you're in love? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, you know, circumstances. Well, so. no, I mean, I get it. You know, life happens, but yeah. damn. He found love in a hopeless place. You know? <laughs> all right. He's, he can't, he can't help it. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I I liked it. Um, my issue really is just Vlad because the whole we're in love thing after an hour, it's just tired. Mm, like yeah. we see it in too many movies at this point. Yeah. What was funny was her reaction to him coming to her in the middle of the night mm-hmm. when she's like, I know you love me more than life itself. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> you know that? What is going on? <laughs> But it's really cool. I think Boris Karloff does a really great job. And everything with the sun was so sad and haunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the extra little, you know, I, I can't be like, well, that's new just because I've never heard of it before. But I had never heard of it before. No. So, yeah. you know, that that's cool. Oh, yeah. I agree. I think it's a very interesting take on because and again, this is 1963. So even then, I'm sure after Dracula and all the films that came from that. Yeah. To have an interesting wrinkle to add to it by using this Russian mythology. Yeah. Right. But as old as you say that is, that predates any vampire, anything. Now, I know that. The term was used in Pushkin's poem, but I think you read the source material. I did. Um, And that is something that I wanted to talk about because I tried to track down source material for all of these stories. Mm -hmm. And I found this one. Right. Now. Uh, Yeah. um, (laughs) Because they're credited. Okay. And (laughs) I read the story that the telephone was supposed to be based off of Mm -hmm. the first instance that i found i read a synopsis for it nothing to do with the telephone (laughs) the second instance i found i couldn't find a synopsis so i fucking found and read the story Mm -hmm. (laughs) nothing to do with the telephone i was like i'm fucking running out of time (laughs) it's nothing so i was like i don't want to (laughs) in any way disparage this film that t loves so much Mm -hmm. But I'm starting to think that they could have lied <laughs> and just to try to bolster or add some credibility to this film to say, oh, this is Chekhov. Right. Or, you know, I again, I mean, no disrespect, but uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm at. Well, I got something to tell you because I read an article today. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm not trying to pee Campbell, but I arrived at an independent. You did. In all fairness, you did. Okay. Because the reality of it is that they have a lot of difficulty finding the source material for two of the three stories. Okay. Yeah. And they think there is a theory that they added these very famous authors' names yeah. to kind of do like Roger Corman did with Edgar Allan Poe to say this anthology has Tolstoy. Chekhov uh-huh. and Demopoisson. Okay, but but not but we're not actually gonna find any of those well, stories. Yeah. To it's, adapt. So, it's so fucking funny because at the beginning of the thing they just say from the works of, yeah. which could mean anything. It's like, well, they no, they were pretty scared in that story. Yeah. They're scared here. Yeah, yeah. It's based on Chekhov. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, and that I I was like, okay, unless the fact that they were scared in this one and she was scared when the phone was ringing. <laughs> That's all That's I got. That's about it. That's wild. But just lied on the resume. Huh? Straight up, yeah. 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 I hope no one asked me about this. Yeah. I hope no one asked to see my diploma. <laughs> <laughs> right, work 0203, here and there. 
Yeah. <laughs> that was me. Yeah. Odd, the- <laughs> odd jobs. Here, here and there. there. <laughs> um, but Tolstoy's story actually did have, he was the one that was more. Yeah. This one is actually a story. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's called The Family of the Vordelag. And it's the same premise, basically. Little things are different. Like the dad was, um, so that he would be gone for 10 days instead of five or whatever. Okay. But um, he shows up again right after the time cut off. Mm. So one of the brothers is like, I'm sure it's fine. And the other <laughs> brother is like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this. So again, okay, so Vlad is staying there. It's the same shit. Okay. Um, but the little boy inexplicably dies in the night. And so Vlad's like, well, goodbye. He leaves. Whoa. Yeah, he leaves. So six months later, he's coming back from a mission and he passes through this village again. Uh-huh. But it's completely abandoned. Mm. So he's walking through it and Sedenka comes out of an empty house and is like, oh, hey. And he remembers her because he was so, you know, struck by her yeah. the, the night that he was there. So he lets her take him into this house and this is when he realizes that she's a Vordelok mm. and he had, I guess, fallen for her the hours that he knew her or whatever. <laughs> so um, she lures him into this house and then the rest of the family comes out and they've all been turned. Oh, wow. And he gets away. Wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what the fuck? No. <laughs> he gets away. He barely gets away. Uh-huh. But he gets away. They get like one fang in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I know. Just the tip. <laughs> oh. God damn it. I got to worry about it from you too. <laughs> but um, it should it should surprise you very little that this is the least changed segment. Okay. I feel like clearly this is the one that they put the most into. Yeah. Yes. The only difference is a few lines of dialogue and this segment goes on last. In okay. the American release. I'll be honest, okay. and I think that the one that is last that we get in this version should be. Uh-huh. I think that that's... Oh, no, yeah. For me, that's the closer. Yeah. But the way that this is presented to us, watching it, I was surprised that there was one more. Because okay. it felt like like this is the big one. This one's got Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. Like this is what we're leading up to. So I was like, damn, there's another one after. Because then it's so long. Yeah. I will agree with that. Because I did too, honestly, about towards the end. I was like, damn, this has been going on for a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's what What can you throw on after this? This feels like a conclusion. Like, it did. We're, we're settling down now. Here's what's going on. Yeah. But then I watched the last one. And yeah. I was like, no. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hold I on. see what you did. <laughs> I, think, I think it's about like 12 or 13 minutes longer than the telephone okay yeah and it feels yeah long. yeah and then the last one is so short it is mm-hmm. and you know like i said it's got boris karloff they're running around they're on these horses like I'm, uh-huh. it felt <laughs> like they were like no this is the one we're really throwing everything at and yeah. i think that's why aip put it last is because it's got the star of the film for okay. sure and yeah. so they're like this is what we're building towards yeah. they should have put him in all of them like drew barrymore and cat's eye <laughs> <laughs> Is he the telephone in the yeah, telephone? Or? Yeah. He could have been He's the voice. Frank. Yeah. He could have been Frank. Yeah, but Frank's ghost. <laughs> Frank's ghost. Yeah. <laughs> but we immediately cut to the next segment. The light of the green tavern flashes in the background amidst a thunderstorm as we get the title La Goccia d'Aqua, or the Drop of Water. At the window, observing the storm, is Helen Chester, a nurse played by Jacqueline Pirot. 
Greenlight flashes rhythmically down the hall, and Helen gets comfortable in her apartment, snagging a bottle of liquor, putting on a record, and sitting down to continue knitting a quilt. I know that I already said this in the first segment, but this really, really feels like a play. Yes. Yeah. Her walking around the house, and like mm-hmm. it, it was... Um, very much so to me. I I appreciate this because there is almost throughout a theatrical feeling. Yeah. And you said it at the top, but you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. But before she can continue on it, her telephone rings. I want to say the flashing light reminds me a lot of that. One of my favorite scenes in Blood and Black Lace. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you recall in the store. Yeah. yeah. And also I feel because it's the flashing light of a sign outside, dead silence. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it becomes very important later, but it's it's great. This reminded me of Last Night in Soho. I oh. I I remember Baby showed me that movie, and that was pretty good. That was cool. I it has the flashing light thing in the room. I get that. Loved yeah. that movie. <laughs> oh, it was so good. That absolutely had Italian horror influence. Okay, okay. So I could see it. Yeah. But Helen answers the phone, and after a moment, she responds annoyed that the caller wants her to come by at this hour. She asks if they can do it in the morning instead, but is promptly rejected. She just wanted to stay in, man. Yeah. She was getting ready to knit. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I felt so bad for her. And then you see why she's being called. And I'm like, damn, you said, can't we do it in the morning? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, we learned a lot about Helen. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, damn. But I will say shit's already, we're already getting into stuff. So it's like, okay, okay, let's see what's going on. Yeah. And the way that they kind of, Hint at a lot of implied history. Yeah. Yeah. But not in a way that you're like, oh man, I missed all this. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it it just works and it expedites the segment in a way that keeps the suspense like perfect. Yeah. Right. But Helen relents very reluctantly, telling the caller that she's on her way. She hangs up the phone, insulting the caller as she gets changed. The camera turns away from her as if it accidentally walked in on her changing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> So one thing that did strike me because we were just talking about Cat's Eye and trying to figure out the connection between the stories. Right. Where Bava had said that it was about fear. Mm -hmm. I did think it was interesting that each one had something ringing that implied something terrible. Okay. Because Oh, that's true. The telephone. Yeah. 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 So I didn't know if that might be something with something. Okay. Well, I feel like Bava also really took that from cat's eye because all oh. those stories were about fear all right <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna talk after this <laughs> i'm gonna teach you about chronology right? well because i saw cat's eye first so i mean i don't know what to talk yeah about. but there was no cool cat's eye song at the end of this one yeah that that, it, is, that hurt that it is, for me i'm that, not gonna that, lie. you're like i took a point off <laughs> One thing I will say, when I was a kid, I assumed that everything I saw first came out then. Yeah. And so if anyone was trying to tell me something, I was like, mm-mm, 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 Well, actually. Not at all. Yeah. No, I saw that first. Thank you. <laughs> but in a large, well-decorated apartment that has definitely seen better days, the maid, played by Millie, tidies up around the fireplace to the sound of cats meowing around her. So I read that Millie was apparently a very famous Italian singer during her time. Well, I was like, just the one name? Yeah. You said it. Okay. Italian Madonna? Yeah. (laughs) Well, Madonna is Italian. Well. Well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so this was Madonna? Yeah. I've broken my brain. (laughs) I will say, though, she was so annoyed to come over here, but the cats would have made that trip worth it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going over there. I'm living over there. Yeah. Yeah. 
even with all the mess. <laughs> we do need to clean this up. Yes. <laughs> if I'm going to be living here. Yeah. <laughs> but under green and purple lights, the maid makes her way to the front door after hearing the bell ring, cats darting across her path. She passes two suits of armor to answer the door and is relieved to find that it's Helen. I will say a suit of armor is very important in Blood and Black Lace. Oh, true. Uh, it's just so much of it already. Yeah. yeah. It might have been reused for all I know. Yeah. But the maid asks what took her so long, but Helen tells her not to be ridiculous, saying that she rushed right over. She ran the whole way, in fact. <laughs> like, you ran? You're mean. <laughs> not even out of breath. But as Helen takes off her coat, the maid explains that she tried to do it herself, but only Helen, a trained nurse, can help her. Helen loudly and sarcastically tells her, what a great idea, but the maid shushes her. Helen remarks that she probably won't even get paid, but the maid assures her that there are a few shillings left in the house. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, You're what the fuck? <laughs> First, do no harm. <laughs> <laughs> My God damn. Yikes. <laughs> but Helen asks the maid why she couldn't just call a relative, but the maid responds that Helen knows she doesn't have any. She didn't have any friends either, aside from the ones who made the table shake. What was that last thing you yeah. said? It's very important. Mm-hmm. But the camera finds this table filled with tarot cards, some spilling onto the floor where dolls lay strewn about. Helen and the maid enter the room, and the maid points ahead, telling Helen, there she is. But Helen asks if the maid is going to join her, but nervously and fearfully, the maid says that she can't even help herself, and to please not ask her to help. That's me. <laughs> like, I, don't even, I can't even handle my own shit. <laughs> I'll be honest. At first, when she had came in, she's saying that I thought somebody was having a baby or something. Mm, okay. And I was like, okay, so what's happening? And then when I seen the tarot cards and all that, I was like, oh, nope. What yeah. is going yeah, on? I was like, this is not what's happening. Well, how rough is that if it was a baby and Helen's like, can we do this tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> no matter what she's being called for, the fact that that's her attitude yeah. is upsetting. That's too much. <laughs> But as thunder crackles outside, Helen opens a curtain and in the bed finds the medium's corpse. Her hair disheveled, her eyes wide open, her skin pale, and her mouth forever frozen in an unsettling grin. Hey, girl. <laughs> She's horrifying. Mm -hmm. Yes. In the absolute best way. That face gave me the fucking creeps. Oh, yeah. It's like, how much rooms you take? <laughs> <laughs> she'll come out of yeah. it. <laughs> That's why you called me. Yeah, she'll <laughs> calm down. It's her. <laughs> I want to say that when I said that something else was designed by Eugenio Bava, uh -huh. it's this face. Mm. This looks fucking terrifying. Yeah, yes. it does. This is not a real person's face. No. Well, thank God. Yes. <laughs> um, because it honestly struck fear in the heart of me the first time I saw it. Yeah. yeah. And if you recall, there is a scene that comes up later that was featured in the Babadook. Yeah. Okay. From this segment. Yeah. And I think I brought it up then. No, yeah. I was like, I remember you pointing it out. Yeah. I didn't know it would take us over 100 episodes. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy. But the camera presses in on the medium's face before settling in on the stunned reaction of Helen. As lights flash across her face, the maid assures Helen that she didn't touch the body and that the medium is there exactly as the doctor left her. Helen surveys the body and accompanied by a music cue, her eyes take notice of a ring with a purple jewel on the woman's finger. 
She's like, oh, it's you. <laughs> what, <laughs> what are you, are you so happy, happy about? <laughs> I see. <laughs> it's a beautiful ring. I think you better drop well, it. <laughs> Why is that even crossing your mind? Yeah. Like, that is so upsetting. First thing. Yeah. She just said that there was some shillings. Yeah. You're yeah, going to get paid. Yeah. Well, I, you're like, I can't. I ran here in the rain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, her asking or saying, "Am I even going to get paid?" I guess does kind of imply that there has been a services history. before. Yeah, that yeah. haven't been paid for. Maybe. Yeah. But even at that, come on, don't do that. Yeah, you don't put a cherry on top. No, mm-hmm. it's not. You don't steal a cherry and put. Yeah. A- <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Especially what we just seen. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. Nope. No, we're not stealing from this. <laughs> from this. <laughs> yeah. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> but Helen asks the maid if she got the dress ready at least, and she says that she did. She even ironed it, and Helen follows her out of the room. But the camera tilts down from the headboard to show the medium's body, and we match cut to a white dress that the maid has ironed for the medium's funeral. I like that cut a lot. Yeah. yeah. A lamp slowly descends from above, its bulb making contact with the fabric. But as they enter the room, the maid laments the death of the medium, saying that she deserved better. But upon noticing the lamp is in a precarious position, she rushes over and raises it up, thankful that the dress wasn't burned. The maid remarks that no one will come to the funeral anyway. Helen asks why, and the maid says it's because they're afraid. They say that the spirits of the dead killed her. What what was that? Yeah. It's kind of important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Helen calls bullshit as the maid pours and hands her a drink. The maid says that she wouldn't be saying that if she knew how the medium died. Helen is confused, saying that the medium clearly died of a heart attack. She says she should know. She kept her going with all those camphor shots. The doctor said the same thing. And the maid says that she knows, but that doesn't mean anything at all. She says the truth is the medium died during one of her seances while she was in a trance. That's pertinent information. Yes. Um, you should have told me that before I even fucking came over here. Uh, but <laughs> so now also, I'm mad at you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now we are no longer friends. Um, did anybody else notice that you can see their breath as they're talking? No. No, yes. I did not. I didn't catch that at all. I'm like, why is it so cold, so cold in there? Ooh, it's cold in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why. Maybe. But the maid says that the medium had become obsessed with speaking to the dead. And apparently she held a seance every Friday, no matter the weather. Well, why would weather? Yeah. <laughs> We're inside. With yeah. <laughs> and thunder helps, honestly. It I think. Atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, have, you, have you heard of it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Helen chuckles, finding it foolish that the medium would do such a thing with her weak heart. But she snags the dress as the maid stays behind for a moment, fixing the overhead lamp as it's come down on its own again. Helen enters the medium's room again, draping the dress over her bed, her eyes transfixed on the purple ring. She goes to lift the medium to change her as the maid watches from the doorway, crossing herself. Helen requests a pair of stockings as well, and the maid retrieves them from a nearby dresser. Helen asks the maid if she plans to stay the night, and the maid says, God forbid, and tells Helen that she's leaving with her. But when Helen asks for a pair of shoes for the medium... The maid leaves the room to search for them, as the medium rarely, if ever, left the house. Alone with the body, her outfit now changed, Helen rests the medium's hands over each other and eyes the ring hungrily. (laughs) Ma'am! I think hearing that she had a heart attack during the seance, I would stop looking at the ring. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, <laughs> that's a deterrent. Yeah. Like, that's bait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she calls out to the maid to see how far away she is. And we see a black cat enter the room as she answers Helen from far away that she's still looking for the shoes. I thought the black cat was symbolic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of, of superstition. Yeah. I will say all black cats are lovely and I love them all. Yeah. They're all beautiful and they get a bad rap. They do. Mm-hmm. But Helen seizes the moment, wrenching the ring off of the medium's finger with such intensity that the ring is sent flying underneath the medium's nightstand. Helen drops to her knees to search for it, and as she's bent down, the medium's hand falls onto the edge of her bed, tapping Helen on the top of her head and scaring the shit out of her. In her fright, she bumps the nightstand, knocking over a glass of water. That'd scare me too. Hell yes. You were just dead. Yeah. <laughs> you were just dead. Yeah. You're dead, Frank, or whatever yeah. they said. <laughs> but the maid hears all of this and asks Helen what happened. Helen assures her that it was nothing, and in her search, finally locates the ring next to a doll lying on the floor. She snatches it, hiding it in her bra, and crossing the medium's hands again over her chest. She crosses it so that the ring hand is under? Yeah. yeah. Dude, that's fucked up. Yeah. All that just happened right now, maybe you were just clean you were just gonna clean it and then you were gonna put it back, right? Yeah. I mean it's not too late at this point. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, what you did was already fucked up, but you can still fix it right yeah. now. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm I literally just barely stole the ring. Yeah. And I've already been punched in the head. And I've already yeah. knocked yeah. my head on a yeah. nightstand. That, that's, I've made that's a, mess. a sign. Mm. Yeah, I've made a mess. <laughs> <laughs> These are signs. <laughs> a very loud fly lands on the medium's finger, but Helen bats it away. Its buzzing echoes throughout the room as Helen returns her attention to the medium, closing her eyes with her fingers. But suddenly, Helen hears a drop of water echoing loudly throughout the room. She sees it's dripping from the glass that she spilled and into a small metal dish. She picks up the glass, setting it upright, just as the maid returns with a pair of shoes. As thunder rumbles outside, Helen puts them on the medium's feet. When she's finished, she gasps to see that the medium's eyes are once again opened and the fly has returned to her finger. Helen screams but assures the maid that it's nothing when she's asked what's wrong. She insists that they leave now since everything is done. It's like, so something's wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> everything's fine, but let's get the fuck <laughs> out of here. <laughs> I will say um, from the from the rip, I love the quiet horror of this segment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I especially love that there seems to be some clear influence of the Telltale Heart. Yeah. That was my exact thought. Yes. Yeah. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. But the camera presses in on the body of the medium, her eerie smile, and her eyes wide open. Helen returns to her apartment, the green light of the tavern sign blinking off and on as the camera pans over to her front door. She sets down her things and takes off her coat and heads into the living room to turn on the lights. Thunder continues to rumble outside amidst a patter of rain as Helen puts on a sweater, pours herself a drink, and promptly sits down. She then reaches into her bra to retrieve the ring. She puts it on immediately, admiring how it looks on her finger. But suddenly, a fly's buzzing is heard in her apartment, and she sees that the fly is resting on her ring finger. Take it back. (laughs) Yeah, that was fucking great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's all we need, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She shakes the fly off, but the buzzing intensifies, 
and in a series of frantic shots, she tries to bat it away with a cloth. The sound eventually disappears, but is immediately replaced by the echoing sound of a drop of water. She heads into her kitchen to see a drop falling from the faucet at the sink. She shuts it off, but the sound continues, this time from the bathroom. She reaches the bathtub to turn off the faucet, silencing it, but the moment she leaves the bathroom, the echoing sound of a drop of water continues, this time from her umbrella that she used when she was out in the rain. So water in Italy is really loud? <laughs> that, Every drop? Yeah. Is it something you gotta get used to? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm like, you fucked up really bad. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Like, you majorly fucked up. And I'm sorry, but it's terrifying. The fucking umbrella was barely off the ground. It should not be this. Yeah. No. Yeah, and if that's what it is, then I already know something supernatural is happening. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard water drop before. <laughs> But she moves the umbrella from its upright position to stop the sound and sits down in her living room, fear washing over her face in a tinge of guilt. But suddenly, a door is heard creaking open down the hall. Helen rises from her seat and with a shaky voice calls out, Who's there? Step by cautious step, she inches her way down the hall, the creaking noise heard again, but even louder and longer this time. She enters her kitchen and finds her bathroom door swaying open and closed. The window in the bathroom, as well, creaks opened, so she shuts them both promptly and returns to the hall, putting her back to the door and breathing heavily with her face covered in sweat. I would be running back to that house. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. We're returning. You ran there once tonight. Go. Yeah. Please. Yeah. <laughs> please, 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 please. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> She peers into her living room, and as soon as she does, all the lights in her apartment go out. She screams and looks around nervously as the flickering green light of the tavern sign periodically illuminates her home, and the music grows sharp and wild. Take the ring off. Yeah. She's still wearing it. That's true. It's funny because even later she's like holding her hands up and pleading. I'm like, bitch, it's still on your finger. That's what's doing this. Take it off. (laughs) But she runs into her living room, but trips and takes a pretty rough tumble. She drags herself to her feet, retrieving a candle and lighting it to guide her way. But through her bedroom door, she hears what sounds like a cat whining. With every ounce of bravery left in her, she creeps towards the door and opens it. The camera snap zooms to her bed, where resting atop Helen's blankets is the body of the medium in her funerary white dress, her hands clasped over her stomach, her teeth bared, and her eyes wide open, staring directly at Helen. Excellent. Yes. The the fact that the head was turned towards her, yeah. I, I fucking, I freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. And it was, I knew this part was coming because I've seen this movie before. So when Helen gets back to her apartment, I said, I'm going to finish this tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That's where I said that. But Helen screams wildly, throwing the candle as the medium's body rises up, awakened. Helen runs into her living room, but rocking in her chair sits the medium, staring straight at her and petting a cat. Helen cries in horror, covering her eyes, and when she opens them, the chair is empty but still rocking rhythmically. Paranoia takes over Helen, and she glances around feverishly, bathed in purple light and the flashing of the green sign outside. From around the corner, a hand reaches for her, and she runs back to her bedroom. I love the zoom on the hand. It's like, it's a hand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
But once there, she finds the corpse of the medium standing in the corner, gliding toward her, her arms slowly reaching up for her as an eerie organ plays. Now, this is literally a scene from Dead Silence. Yeah. Do you remember Mary Shaw? In yeah. The, um, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's the same thing. Except the medium's not a doll yeah. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but you love to see it. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. I appreciate the little homage. And we know James Wan loves Italian horror. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Malignant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a giallo film. <laughs> well, kind of. <laughs> Let's be careful. <laughs> but Helen collapses to the floor, her own hand clutching her throat, but she tears it away to clasp them in prayer, begging the medium for mercy. The medium draws closer, her hands like claws as symbols take over the score, and Helen reaches her own hands around her throat and begins to squeeze. Yeah, I was I, I was a little confused. Like, so like she's pre-choking herself, Pre- like warming up the engine a little bit. I I mean I get it. No, I, I'm saying she's like leaving. She's, I get it. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Just saying, you know, I understand. But so who's choking you? Nobody. No, <laughs> it's a spirit. No, <laughs> but this is when I'm like. Offer it back. Yeah. Yeah. Take it off. Do anything. She's like, is there any way I can live and keep Obviously. the ring? <laughs> <laughs> no, sure. And I'll work it off. Please. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a do down you payment. Want? Yeah. 50? <laughs> I'm like, obviously, she's not under her own control at this point. Yeah. But all the way up until now. You had the chance. You know why she's here. You know oh, what yeah. you did. Yeah. And again, this is the classic fucking comeuppance. Oh, yeah. That we all know and love. But Helen falls back into the hallway as a stray cat walks across her windowsill, meowing. Was that general? It's uh. <laughs> a cameo. It was the first role. Yeah. He went to Italy in one of the stories that got cut out. That's right, yeah. He was I like, believe fuck it. this, and he hopped on a boat. Because he was on a boat, and then suddenly he was only in New Jersey, if you yeah. recall. Yeah. He went to Italy. We know. <laughs> but the next morning... Helen's body is found with her hands clutched around her neck, pale-faced, her eyes opened, and grinning a small smile. The coroner, played by Alessandro Tedeschi, examines her body as a police inspector, played by Gustavo Donardo, interviews Helen's neighbor, played by Harriet Medine. The neighbor says that as soon as she heard the screaming, she ran upstairs to break down the door. She says she wasn't alone, and the other neighbors joined her. They tried pushing on the door, but it was locked. They were finally able to open it, and when they found Helen dead on the floor, she made everyone leave. And it's very funny that she did that, because we know why. It's hilarious! (laughs) We soon learn. She promises that nothing has been touched, and she says that she called the police right away. She's like, I found my share of dead bodies. I know what I'm doing. You can all go home. (laughs) But the inspector sees a white nightgown on Helen's bed, remarking that she had already prepared for bed, and the coroner pronounces Helen dead of self-suffocation. So it's wild because if you look at it from Helen's point of view, potentially, Mm -hmm. it was the guilt that drove her mad, and she thought that her white gown that she laid out for herself was was. the medium. Oh, okay. And that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But as the coroner tears her hands away from her throat, he notices something. On her left ring finger, there is bruising and a small laceration, but there is no ring. He says someone must have wrenched it off of her. The neighbor looks around very nervously 
and she hears the sound of buzzing flies and the echoing drips of water. The coroner turns Helen's head to one side, and in her deathly gaze, Helen stares directly at the neighbor as the camera presses in and the drops of water continue. So, what'd you guys think of the drop of water? I really like that one. That one was, I do feel like that one is the one to end on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, th- her face is very scary. I did, I did, it did make me think of Annabelle. Okay. A little bit. The dress? Right. And then the face, the way the kind of face is, it looks kind of doll-like, but scary. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, honestly, that's two James Wan projects. Yeah. So you're probably right. Yeah, yeah for sure. But uh, that was short, but very sweet. Yeah. yeah. Like, I felt like that was just long enough. We got enough detail. We didn't really need to know any kind of backstory about any of the characters. Just just enough, and it was done. Yeah. yeah. And I think the more we talked about it and listening to whatever, I think that one might be my favorite one, too. Wow. Because yeah. it, it is very just get to the point. Here it is. Here it is. Scare, scare, scare. Then it continues. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Because the neighbor took it. Obviously, fucking oh, yeah. ripped the <laughs> ring off. Clearly. <laughs> ripped it Dude, off. Yeah. She couldn't even get some olive oil or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Here God damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I completely agree. I think that this one is my favorite as well. When I was watching it, I thought that um, the medium had taken her ring back. Yeah. And then they show the neighbor and she's like Jordan Peele sweating. And I was like, this bitch, like this ring is irresistible. Yeah. It's just funny. She's like, I made everyone leave. Yeah. And I didn't touch anything. She saw yeah. it and was like, oh, you guys get out of here. <laughs> um, but no, it, just like you already said, John Paul, it's short, but so effective and very, very creepy. Yes. Um, it's, it's just a, it's just a great story. And this is the one to end on mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, it might surprise you in the American release. This opened the anthology. Oh no! Yeah, I the problem I have with that, I feel like that this is such a good balance of fast story, story, scare, scare, and then continue. Mm-hmm. It, that if you do this at the beginning, you need to follow strong after this. Yes. Yeah, no, the, you blew your water out of you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> but right, that's what no, you're saying. No, yeah. And I, for me, I, I really enjoy this segment a lot. I think that a lot of it goes... This is what I'm talking about with the style of Italian horror. Okay. Because the lighting, the cinematography really carries this segment. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. I can't... Yeah. yeah. It's honestly, for me, one of the most perfect anthology segments I've ever seen in any anthology. It's good. Yeah, it is. And that face will stay with you forever. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But we cut to Boris Karloff, dressed as Gorka from the Verdilox segment, riding his horse through the woods. He pulls on the horse's reins and looks down Lens, telling us, so there it is. He asks if we saw that ending coming, as there's no fooling around with ghosts because they take revenge. He says that we've come to the end of our tales and he must leave now. He pats his horse with a laugh and tells the viewer, Watch out on the way home. Look around you. Look behind you. Careful when you open the door. And don't go in without turning on the light. He seals it with a kiss, telling us to dream about him and that we'll become friends. I was like, all right. I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah. 
Gorka. <laughs> I, mean, I, I know what you do to people that yeah. you care about. Bob was like, was that in the script? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he laughs it off as he begins to ride away. The trees passing him as his horse takes off. But when the camera pulls back, we see that it's all a bit of movie magic. Karloff on a horse apparatus controlled by someone beneath it. A man seated at the camera as various men run around it holding trees and a lighting system spinning in a circle to give the illusion of movement. Karloff continues to laugh as the music grows upbeat and whimsical and we get on-screen text reading, Fini. We fade to black and the credits roll. It was already funny to me that he was still in costume from the Vortilac. Yeah. <laughs> That's earlier. already hilarious. Yeah. But when we pan out and we get this adorable fucking ending, I was just not expecting that at all. Yeah, I thought, I forgot you said this was a Monty Python movie. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it It is charming, though. I did enjoy that. It's like, look what we were doing. You it's know so I mean? cute. But yeah, it, it was a pretty good little ending. It made me smile the first time I saw it to see like a peek behind the curtain. Yeah. yeah. And I always wondered why they did this. And I found out today in my research, mm -hmm. I was reading in our culture and I also heard from Turner Classic Movies. Yeah. But what happened was they told Bava that his planned ending for the film, which I don't know what it was, they told him it was American International Pictures. Yeah. They told him that it was too dark. And they said, you need to figure something out. And he had been fucking fed up with getting all these notes from them. Yeah. So he's like, I'm just going to demystify the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so he decided to do this as like a little playful ending. Boris Karloff was game. Yeah. And so they're like, let's do it. It's very cute. It is. But the thing is, is American International Pictures didn't like it. <laughs> oh my god, you can't fucking win. Yeah. And so the ending of the film for that release is literally the end of the Verdulox segment. <laughs> okay. So you're talking about it ending too dark so much th so that you make Baba shoot something new. Yeah. And then you're like, let's end it with the whole family dying. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what the fuck? You don't know what you want. No. no. You don't know what you want. So that's why they just like kind of, you know, annoy the shit out of me. That's wild. But what did you guys think of Black Sabbath? I like this movie. It's not a, something that I would probably watch on my own or kind of like see and take just from the looks of it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, the, I'm I'm glad that we did cover it. I did enjoy this. Uh, I'll be honest. It's not something that I, like I said, I would pick myself because it's not really something that's in you know my wheelhouse. But uh, this was this was a good, nice little treat. Like I said, I. I I have, we went to a uh, play that they did Clue. Yeah. Uh, me and your sister and the kids went and I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. So seeing things that are more seem like a play or theater, I do, I did notice that I do like that a little more. Yeah. So that did help me kind of with the movie. I did enjoy that. Um, some of it is is kind of uh, like her not calling the cops at the beginning. <laughs> it was like, okay, I don't, you know what I mean? It was like, why didn't you do that? Yeah. Um, same thing in the second story. It's like, uh, dude, you didn't have to stop here, but you did. Now you're inserting yourself into this family's business. And then even that, y'all, your dad warned y'all. Yeah. You still didn't listen. Yeah. You didn't need to stop and you certainly didn't need to stay. No. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, just just don't don't steal. You yeah. know what I mean? You shouldn't have been stealing. No. Especially from this lady. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That you shouldn't have done that. 
Um, but I mean, other than that, I did enjoy this. Like I said, it was a good little treat. Um, that it is, it, it is something that I'm not, uh, I don't want to say comfortable. I'll use the word familiar because I'm not familiar with a lot of this. Uh huh. Um, but it, it was a good little time. I did enjoy that. Yeah, I agree. I liked it a lot. It's not something that I, was even on my radar. So I am glad that we've covered it. I'm glad that you recommended it. And it is really cool to look and see all the things that drew from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for it to be this influential, it, that's a really special thing. Um, but yeah, I had a lot of fun talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just pointing out the little silly stuff along the way. But this is a very interesting watch and there were pieces specifically in the last two stories that were chilling yeah mm-hmm. that were actually pretty fucking unnerving or scary mm-hmm. and that's a treat i mean we don't get that a lot and then especially looking back at 63 yeah that that's something that i was like oh fu-. like it genuinely is like upsetting mm-hmm. um that's just really cool I really did appreciate this. It's not my favorite anthology that I've ever seen, but I am glad that I watched it and I had a really good time. I'm very happy to hear all of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love this film so much. Uh, I think really everything about it just speaks to things that I enjoy about films of this era. Right. And watching it, I feel like I grow more fond of it the more I see it. Mm-hmm. And um, when we get to the ratings, I, I'm going to uh, correct a mistake that I've made in the past <laughs> <laughs> too often, too often. But um, oh, I've, and I forgot to mention in the drop of water segment in the American release, mm-hmm. as they're walking to the medium's room for the first time, the maid tells Helen and she said that she would put a curse on anyone who ever came into Stop! Yeah. Yeah, so, that. again yeah. that's what i'm talking about as far as them just fucking butchering this movie yeah. Yeah, that's too much so i really appreciate and i'm very glad that we got to watch and discuss the italian release mm-hmm. yeah i really enjoy watching this i would go as far to say if we move the nostalgic love that i have for creep show out of the way mm-hmm. for a moment Black Sabbath is my favorite horror anthology. Oh, okay. wow. And I discovered that watching it this time and writing the script for it. Okay. Because as much as we all talk about horror anthologies, mm-hmm. as much as we all love them, yeah, yeah. yeah, to have one that has the flair of Italian horror attached to it, okay. what more could I ask for? Yeah. Except to also have been in it. so were you just like not paying attention last week when we did cat's eye i left mentally (laughs) 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 but i guess that can lead us into ratings (laughs) um i just to recap real quick um everything about this is great to me (laughs) (laughs) just a quick recap just to be clear um the the direction the cinematography the lighting the set design the production design the editing the performances the color Mm -hmm. i i love everything about this movie i think the only things that i have a minor complaint about are (laughs) uh vladimir's character arc (laughs) (laughs) and um the inclusion of more time in between segments for boris karloff yeah Yeah. and it really sucks to learn that baba shot that yeah yeah that's that sucks yeah and how how dare aip say shoot these segments 
He shoots them. They get rid of them for the Italian release and then put them in the American release reshot with different dialogue. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking weird. It is. It, it really just feels like they did him horribly. Yeah. This, yeah. this entire thing. And I, I don't get why you have a brilliant filmmaking mind like Mario Bava. Yeah. Let him work. Yeah. But <laughs> I digress. I don't even know if AIP is even around anymore. <laughs> I'm fighting. You bastards! <laughs> you blew it up! <laughs> God damn you, Alda. You know, uh, we've all seen the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> but when I say I want to correct a mistake that I've made many times, what happens very often is we'll cover a movie that we love tremendously. We realize how much we love it, but... Because we want to spend a little more time with it, we'll give it something like a 9.5. Mm-hmm. I did that with Perfect Blue, yeah, which deserved a 10. I regret that every day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> you wake up, it's your first it's thought. My big, yeah, it's my biggest regret. <laughs> but films, films, you know, I think if you, if you feel it in your heart, you got to be honest with yourself. Right. Perfect Blue deserved a 10. Yeah, it did. And for me... Out of 10 Faces of Fear, I'm going to give Black Sabbath 10 Faces of Fear out of 10. Okay. Good for you. Feel your feelings. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll now open the floor to you. Uh, I mean, I don't don't think... You know, we need to go over what we because we I mean, it, it is it is funny to, to sit here and try to think and be like, yeah, you know, there is a, a few minor gripes, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Um, but I did I did have a lot of fun. I like I said, I would recommend anyone who hasn't seen this to watch it. Mm-hmm. Give it a watch and then, you know, tell us what you think or you know what I mean? If you like it, you like it. I I wouldn't say that I wouldn't watch this again because I probably would. Wow. Honestly, um, it, uh, but again, is it is it something that I'm familiar with and that I would be like probably my first pick? Probably not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but that's only because I'm not familiar with it. You know what I mean? It's not something that I know like you do or that I hold as dear as you do. Mm-hmm. But again, like you said, I think with time, once you give it, you know what I mean? Like you said. So I, I do I do appreciate you saying that because we do do that and it is something that if we like the movie, we should just give it the way we feel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and I did love Perfect Blue too, but again, I don't know what it is for me. I just couldn't feel comfortable doing it. I couldn't feel comfortable doing <laughs> like, it. Like not quite. Hey, and, and again, the song is still the ringtone for your sister when right. she calls me. It's staying that way. Yeah. I love the movie, but... <laughs> But I, I say that for to go into my rating or to kind of explain my score. Okay. I, I did enjoy this movie a lot, but I think the me not being familiar with it and the few things that they did do in the movie that was like not kind of like that's common sense to call the cops. Or you know what I mean? Or you see there's danger going on in this cabin here or this farmhouse, these people maybe take off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm sure the girl's pretty. Whatever. <laughs> go to Jersey, dude. That's go, not yeah, him. that's not. Get your you, gabagool. Yeah, you were supposed to go do something and you stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I did enjoy the shit out of this. And I really do think that that if you haven't seen it, that it should be checked out. Um, the ending scary, the, the oh. face, that something like you said. I feel like that alone, just the face, if you've never seen this movie, that would be something to get me honestly to be like, 
I want to know what that is. That's terrifying. Yes. Yeah. Even if I got to sit through the whole movie to get to it, I, I need to know what the fuck that terrifying face is from. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I did also have a lot of fun talking about the movie mm-hmm. and learning about everything that was going on. Um, but for me, on a scale of one to ten faces of fear, I'm going to give Black Sabbath a 6.5. I did enjoy the movie, but like I said, I'm not very familiar with it. Mm-hmm. So I would like to get more familiar with what was going on. You know what I mean? Um, and branching out to Italian horror. Right. I know that I have started to try to watch more uh international horror films on my own as well i know you guys do too on y'all spare time but with the time we have it's kind of hard yeah Yeah. um so i you know i do i would like to jump into it and kind of also put that in rotation with other things with newer things even if they're older movies to to check it out for sure it feels weird recapping every time we do anthologies because it's like i already said everything (laughs) after every single segment yeah but um I will say that I had a blast talking about it mm-hmm. and kind of dissecting it um, and really just acknowledging those moments that are genuinely frightening. Yes. Um, because they are there. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a mix of, of things that are a little bit sillier, like um, really just Vlad, period. Yes. <laughs> the, his entire character was fucking ridiculous. <laughs> but um, like I said, this isn't the the my favorite horror anthology mm-hmm. um but i respect it a lot and like i said i had a lot of fun talking about it i love those moments that you can really tell were so influential and would go on to have a big hand in things that i do absolutely love mm-hmm. um i am a little bit torn on my score all right but because we're right on the heels of my favorite segment of the film, and I am kind of vibing on that, <laughs> I am going to go with the higher number. It's not your number. Okay. <laughs> but I did. This is, this is something to watch for sure. Like John mm-hmm. Paul said, even if it's not necessarily your genre or your style, it these things are important to watch because they paved the way for a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, not only that, like I said, with the sun and the face in the second and third story genuinely frightening yeah genuinely disturbing those aspects i enjoyed a lot um so on a scale from one to ten faces of fear i am going to give black sabbath eight out of ten faces of fear all right okay i did go up half a point from when i sat down (laughs) because this was a really great conversation it was and again those moments that are i did not sit down for this movie thinking that I was going to get freaked out at all. No. <laughs> so when I saw that face and I was like, oh, my yeah. God, that's a treat. Like, that's a treat. Yeah. I, and I'll be honest. I would have given it more if we would have gotten more of the the frame story. Yeah. yeah, totally. If agree. we would have had Boris Karloff in the middle in between giving us as a host. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. I probably would have gave it a full ass other point. But That's again, fair. it it is the stories just end, and then we're thrown <laughs> into the next it one. Was, it does. It, it, the first one was so jarring. Yeah, <laughs> I'll I'll make a supercut of both. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all from us at Pod Mortem. What would you rate Black Sabbath, and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Pod Mortem. 
Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at JuggaloDaddy84. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Thanks again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Windigo Gitter patrons. And remember, though fear has the power to knock you off your path, it's important to always get back on the horse. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our Windigo Gitter patrons. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> a special uh, what? <laughs> you sounded like Hans Moment. <laughs> I saw you stifling it. <laughs> very good. And I, I said what very loudly. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you going to say? So ready for a <laughs> A special thank you to. Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, Travis Anisa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rezac, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Eggy, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Eden, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman Wise, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Kyle OKC, Joshua Rumley, Daniel Peralta, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Hegera, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Megan M, Strangely Sarah, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanavan, ML Tafoya, Abigail Spitzer, Katie K, Erica Morin, Cameron S, Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A, Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E, Maggie H, Fernando Dominguez, Murder Stina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McGonigal, Kristen Marcy, Ori81 Bariqua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Montez Shamwow, Felnez 63, Alita Pui, Probably My Jugs, Kate Thackeray, Wade Pack, Charlie V, A Lizard, Bryant Watson, Luke Ashley, Jay Rich, Jen Lassiter, Topher Williams, Elena Mettler, Neil Chesen, Valerie Kay, Kim Sterling, Christy Lee Kruger, 
Professor of Humanities Laura McCarricker, Naomi, Josh Smith, Autumn Green, Jess L., Itzel, Heather Santiano, and Abby Kopp. Thank you all so much. Yes, hey. thank you. We love each and every one of you so much, and we want you to know that you are the light of our life. The light was great in the film. Okay. <laughs> I was like, was there a light segment? <laughs> no, there's the lighting. <laughs> it's Mario Bava. All right. <laughs> Until next time.